Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, lay back Friday, nothing going on, nothing to talk about. <laughs> I might as well just go home and just, uh, it's time for the weekend. Yeah, what an interesting um, situation we have here where we've got July 4th coming up, celebrating our, our Declaration of Independence and our individual liberty uh, at the same time as the Supreme Court gets rid of affirmative action and the left is talking about how we need, uh, we need to bring back racism to college campuses. It's really hysterical. Okay, I've been going over the case. Uh, we went over a bunch of Supreme Court stuff yesterday for the first two hours of the show. Um, and then we got to, into wellness stuff, which is kind of cool. Um, but then uh, today we're going to go over this. Obviously, everybody's talking about the affirmative uh, action case in the Supreme Court, but no one's actually reading from the Supreme Court case like we're going to do. I've just been, I've been going over it and I've been uh, chuckling hysterically over the dissenting appear, uh, you know, opinions by the, the leftist ideologues. But that's not the good news. The good news is that we have a new feature here on Action Radio. We have a new person, Tara D. And Tara D is on the line right now. And so what's cool about this is we used to do this back at WBY. Uh, Brandy Bates, who is the, the information resource person of Santa Rosa County, uh, used to come on the show every week and talk about pets that were available uh, for adoption and, and things like that. And uh, I wanted to bring that back. And so we have a wonderful person who's going to tell us all about what she does there and, uh, and also some and see what kind of critters we've got going on right now. So uh, let's, uh, let's give the old Action Radio welcome to Tara D. How you doing? Welcome to Action Radio. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me this morning. Appreciate it. Oh, good. Well, let's give you a round of applause. kind of normal stuff around here. All right, I'm going to try and say your last name. I'll see if I can get this okay. uh, kind of written down here. So hang on. Tara de Aguilera. How'd I do? Uh, yes, very, very good. Yes. So I basically just tell everybody, Christina Aguilera, add a D in the front, and you've got it. Oh, de Aguilera. That's hard to do. <laughs> I was thinking, it's just Aguilera. <laughs> yeah. now, okay, now Tara D is Tara fine. D. Yeah. Tara D is fine. Tara D is fine. Yeah, so I want to hear your story. We got a few, a few minutes. I mean, uh, we got Derek coming on. And you don't have to say the whole half hour, but if you want to, feel free because this is your first okay. time on the show. Um, but um, so, how'd you get interested in critters? And then we'll talk about the shelter uh, and, and the animals. Yeah, so basically, um, I you know grew up as a child just loving animals, and it kind of carried on. Um, mm-hmm. When I was a kid, always you know wanting pets, and we always had dogs growing up. And as I got older, um, I just made my way to the animal welfare area, and it kind of stuck. I started here uh, at Animal Services, I think about 2000. I've been here about yeah, a little over 22 years now. So um, wow. it's been quite a journey. We've made a lot of changes here at the shelter since I've been here. So a lot of good things have happened over the years. I'm really happy about that. So it's just kind of where my heart is, trying to help animals and help people with their animals and find homes for the babies. So that's kind of where we're at. And then just being here, there's a lot of things that, you know, you can do to help. Um, and it makes me feel like I can always make a difference being here. And the animals are sometimes a lot nicer than people. So, hey, you know, that's a plus as well. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't they don't call talk shows. They don't do it. They're just really great. <laughs> <laughs> one of the nice things yeah, well, you kind of know where you stand with them. They're going to kind of let you know, you know, if you're mm-hmm. doing something they don't like, they'll, they'll let you know for the most part. And so you can, and they're good judge of characters as well, usually, so. Yeah, animals and kids, no filter. I mean, whatever's on the right. line, you, you just know. Except the animals, that, although they can't speak. But five, you want to know what you want to know where you stand in the world? Talk to a five-year-old. 
They're, they're great. Yes, that, tell you. that you is know, true. They, they will let you they know. They don't care. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, what's your position there? Are you, are you running the place? Are you uh, yeah, so I'm actually um, – Yes, I'm a kennel technician. Um, My primary uh, job right now is volunteer coordinator. And so we basically just try to recruit people to come in and help us take care of the animals. We have uh, lots of ways that they can do that. They can do admin work. They can get Uh in there and clean kennels. They can walk animals. Uh, We always, you know, always need a lot of dog walkers. Yes, and some people don't like to do that. Yeah, we're not going to make them if they don't want to. You know, we have something for everybody. So if somebody wants to stay in the AC and do paperwork, Mm -hmm. uh, that's perfectly fine, too. So we have a little bit for everybody. And then we have the kitty cats, too, if you're a cat person. So so basically just trying to work on that and get people in here to sign up for that. And we try to do adoption events when we have staff for that. And then um, we also work with rescues as well. So um, we don't have the... We don't have as many going out to rescue as we used to, but that's because we are no-kill now, So, and that's a good thing, but also we are still in need of rescues to work with us. So we have a great rescue community. They're always very supportive of the shelter. So kind of just, you know, working on that. And the main thing is just trying to get people in here, making them feel comfortable and show, you know, because some people don't realize they can volunteer here, and we just want to make them, you know, aware of that, that they can come in and help, and they can do an hour a week or they can do 20 hours a week, whatever they're comfortable with, so. Interesting. Yeah, I would say start with the poop. You know, go shovel out the kennel. So that's the problem, folks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah. and laundry all day every day because we have approximately right. 70 dog kennels, and if everybody gets a blanket and toy, it's a lot of laundry. So some people like to come in and just do laundry and dishes, and that is a huge help as well. So there's a little, a little bit for everybody. Some people like to go sit in a kennel with a scared dog and just kind of give them a little love. And so it's kind of just all depends on what you're comfortable doing, and we have a spot for that. So. Wow. Uh, gee, and I thought I talked fast. You're pretty good at this. Are you oh, East sorry. Coast way back when or something? Or, or I don't know. Yeah, where, where I used from? to be a talk radio show back in the day. No, just kidding. <laughs> Didn't we all? I've all been on talk radio. Yeah. No, but it's just funny. Um, but uh, yeah, because I'm trying to slow down. I actually, you know, I got here from uh, from California. I've, I've always talked fast. Anyway, so I came mm-hmm. down here and, and some says, you talk too fast. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I just had a reaction. I said, well, listen faster. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll try. I'll try to slow it down. Now no, I can. Um, yeah, I can I'm talk just... a lot when it comes to animals. Um, yeah. You know, because we have so many great pets here, so it's always like you mm-hmm. want to make sure you get in all the information. And there's this you one, there's that one. So we have yeah, lots of yeah. lots of babies here that um, would love attention. Yeah. So. Well, we'll start there. Then we will get all the contact information, and everything else. So, so okay, what's great. the first of all? Where's the shelter, and what's the phone number? Well, actually, okay, so um, shelter address, so phone, num- and then address, phone. Okay. okay. So Santa Rosa County Animal Services, and we are at 4451 Pine Forest Road, Milton, Florida, not not to be confused with the Pine Forest in Pensacola. So we do have a Pine Forest Road in Milton. It's just a small side road. We're next to the EOC building. Our number here is 850-983-4680. And then our website is santarosa.fl.gov slash animals and there's lots of great information on there that can tell people uh, what to do if they're missing a pet, if they're interested in adopting, they can go in there and look at our adoptable animals. If they want to volunteer, there's a button for that to give them volunteer information. Also just has lots of great tips about animals issues that are going on. Maybe um, we have community cat programs so if we have a Community Cat Day, we'll have it posted there. Also, just basic resources for people that they can go on there. There's lots of good information. Huh, okay. Well, I, I'm just thinking, um, now we're a national, actually we're an international show, but I don't expect you'll get um, mm-hmm. 
you know, requests from Russia or China or things like that, uh, even though we reach those countries. Um, but for, for national folks, can people, do people ever travel to pick up animals? Do they come from outside the county or outside the state or where do they come from? Um, yes, we have primarily it's in our county and then Escambia County and maybe some Okaloosa folks. We do get mm-hmm. some people over from Alabama, but we have had people travel long distances. We do have to ensure that the animal is spayed or neutered before it can go out of the area. So, um, but we have had people, I mean, I think we had someone come up, this has been a few years ago, but from New York to adopt a dog, drove down. We've had someone drive over from Texas to adopt a dog that actually was a family member's dog and it ended up at the shelter. And so they drove from Texas to pick up the dog. Yeah. And we've had, and and as far as lost and found dogs, when we have microchips on our animals, it makes a huge difference on getting them back Mm -hmm. to their owners. So we've definitely had people drive many, many hours to redeem a, a dog or a cat that was theirs. And, you know, maybe it made its way here. Um, we had a case, this has been some years ago, but we had a little pug, and mm-hmm. I think he was missing about seven years from his owner, and we were able to trace him back from that chip. And so oh, wow. the, they came and got him, and, you know, it was a great story because, like, that microchip got him back home. It took a while, but he made it back home eventually. So microchips are a good years? thing uh, to have. Did yeah. anybody read the chip before? I mean, Apparently it, not. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes people just don't think to do that. If somebody finds a dog occasionally, they may not follow up on that. And that's one of the important things, you know, if you ever do find a dog, make sure you're, you know, get him to the vet, get him scanned, because there could be an owner that, that is out there looking for him. Maybe they don't have Internet, so they're not able to post them online, something like huh. that, and that microchip will lead them back to the owner if there's someone looking for them. Because so. I see signs for lost pets all the time, and I wonder how many of those actually get uh, get brought back. Um, where do they yeah. put a chip in a dog? Where, where does it go? Um, so it's basically around the sh- in between the shoulder blade area, and it's uh, it used to be a really big needle, but they're a lot smaller now. So it's just mm-hmm. a little quick poke, and it's you know it goes through the skin and kind of gets in there, and it's um, it's going to be for the life of the pet. And sometimes it can migrate to different areas, but that's why anybody that's a you know, works at a vet's office or shelter, they'll know to scan the entire animal just in case. But it's in there, and the main, most important thing, though, is getting that microchip up to date because some people will move, and they don't update that information. So that's really important. If you do have an animal that's chipped, you've got to make sure that your information is current because we do find a lot of what we call dead chips where we'll call and there's maybe they never registered them, so it goes back to the company, but it doesn't right. have any owner information. So that kind of defeats the purpose of getting that chip in there. So yes, they're really handy. Make sure yeah, and especially <laughs> with Fourth of July coming, make sure your microchips are current so that if your dog gets loose or your cat, we can get them back uh-huh. to you. Okay. So Fourth of July, the first thing that comes to mind is fireworks. Uh, how do animals? And yeah. we can talk about you know regular. I want to do a lot of things just for people with own pets because almost everybody in this country has a dog except me. <laughs> I'm convinced everywhere <laughs> I go, that everybody has a dog yeah, or two dog or here. three or six or whatever. But everybody has mm-hmm. those pets, and I just I don't have pets because I don't have time, I don't have space, I don't have. It wouldn't be fair to the pet or fair to me, so I just don't do it. But this, but right. everybody. I mean, animals are so popular in this country. It's amazing. But what about the fourth? What about fireworks? Uh, they're loud. They're bright. Yeah, so, you know. so that's a, definitely a scary time for animals. Um, you know, it's it can be pretty tragic at times. So what we encourage people to do is, number one, make sure that your animal has proper identification in the event that they get loose. So make sure they have their, their tags on them. If they're microchip, mm-hmm. make sure that it's current. You can even write your phone number on their collar. That way, if their tag gets loose, there's an extra backup, and that's a good idea to do. Um, if you know that your animal is afraid of fireworks, or even if not, like, take them inside for the night, even if they're, you know, maybe you don't bring them in often, but, you know, Bring them in for the night so that they're safe Um, because a lot of dogs that 
are fine outside, normally you're going to freak out with all the noise. So it's very important just to make sure your animal feels safe. Another thing to do is maybe check with your vet ahead of time. So say, mm -hmm. you know, today would be a great day to do that. Check with your vet. Maybe get something. If you know your animal has an issue, check with your vet about getting possibly a sedative. There are some great CBD calming chews out there that you can use. There are um, thunder wait, 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 shirt. Stop right there. So CBD, that's like the marijuana yeah. is for the THC, right? Oh, well, no, so it's, 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 it's the, that's the legal kind. I think PetSmart well, actually I know it's legal. That's not, it's, that's not the point. Yeah. I'm just amused that, uh, hey, man, you know, does like a dog bark on, on a CBD differently? <laughs> no, like, he's on CBD. Like, woof, yeah, yeah I'm hungry, <laughs> No, but man. actually they do no, really well. There's so many um, <laughs> things out now that you can use, like, for, for specifically things like this. So there's, there's lots of good products out there, all legal, of course. But if you check with maybe PetSmart. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not sure Walmart may carry them as well. So, And then also there's Thunder Shirts, which is a certain type of little, kind of like a little vest you put on your dog, and it kind of, it's kind of a comforting thing, and it keeps them calmer. And so those are good things too. But all of those you can check with your animal, places like PetSmart, Petco, uh, Petland, those types of places, and they usually have a lot of selection. But I would encourage people to not wait until Tuesday afternoon to do that, like do it before the fireworks hit, because a lot of dogs do freak out. Where have you been in radio? You should have been doing this for years. You oh. have a great voice for this. And, and, oh, well, thank uh, yeah, you. I know you're a good spokesperson. That. Yeah, really informed, really organized, and uh, yeah. But just the idea of a bunch of dogs sitting around high just just cracked me up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, let's sit here. Let's go to the shelter and like you know, woof. Yeah, okay, fine. This is gonna be yeah. Great. Um, so, now they like might enjoy it on another day, but on the fourth, oh, it's more for just their safety. Yeah, so, yes, so, you know. yeah. Should people leave their dogs at home? I mean, I, I can just see them. Uh, dog hops in the car. Everybody's heading down the fireworks. Dog thinks, hey, it's a great adventure. I'm going out with the family. Yeah, this is fun. Um, and all of a sudden, boom. It's like, oh, no. Dog, like, freaks out. Yeah, I personally, again. unless you know that your dog is not, you know, if you know that your dog is okay with loud noises, and some dogs mm -hmm. don't really mind it, but if you don't know, I would not take the chance of taking my dog because they could bolt and they could yep. be loose and in a public place, and that's just not what you want for your poor pet. So I would suggest if you don't know your animal's history with loud mm -hmm. noises and going out in public, keep them at home. And... If you're able to stay at home or have someone home with a dog, if you know they have problems, that's always a good thing, too. I know some people like to go enjoy, you know, everything, but make sure your home, your dog is home safe. And, you know, if you're able to provide a, a calm area for them, that's always a good thing because some of the animals are not bothered by them, but there are other animals that it's, it's a very, very stressful night for them. The animals are weird. I was just thinking, uh, I was in the San Francisco earthquake in 1989, and oh all the pets disappeared for like, oh, yeah, well, I'll tell you that story sometime, but all the pets disappeared for like three days. <laughs> you know, they all went. Oh, the gas oh was out, the power was out, and the pets disappeared. And gradually they oh come no. out, and we go, oh, there's, there's Kitty, you know, and the, you know, there, there's Fido. <laughs> like, oh, where have you been? Oh, wow. Dogs and cats are like, can I come out now? Is it okay? Yeah, it's safe. We're, we're good to come yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they all disappeared before the earthquake, too. That's the funny part. <laughs> because, like, the day beforehand, all the pets were gone. And it's like, what's going oh, on? My goodness. Where's that? Oh, yeah, no. It, yeah, it was, something's yeah. amiss if you see all the animals heading out. So you might want to yeah, follow, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when the birds start flying away and the, and the cats and dogs are hiding somewhere, they've disappeared, then you better, you know, batten down the hatches or, or uh, of course, in or the case of an earthquake, you know, you don't know and you don't know. There's no warning. Hurricanes. I went to Hurricane Sally here and we were kind of spoiled. We'll talk about hurricanes mm -hmm. in a bit. Uh, well, maybe not today, but I'm just thinking that, um, you know, I, I saw it coming for like, what, a week? <laughs> you know, so, oh, so yeah. You, know, get, yeah, you get some yeah. warning. Yeah. yeah hurricanes no, are scary, but, yeah, you get some time to prepare for them. And hopefully yeah. most people do. Still, we see a lot of dogs after that better at least because people don't check their fences and things like that but yeah we definitely were lucky enough to get that warning period and get prepared for the hurricane Air earthquakes yeah different story 
<laughs> no kidding. Have you ever been in one? It's really quite. A I have not. I've never been. Hurricanes are scary enough. I don't think I'd want to go on the earthquake side of things for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I was in uh, the blizzard of, of 78 up in New England, which is one of the worst blizzards ever. I get to San Francisco for the 89 earthquake, and I was here for Hurricane Sally in 2021. So I was joking with oh. my friends. I said, I said, next I'm going to move next to a volcano and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, making the rounds, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That kind of that warped sense of humor. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the animals. What, what do we got? Who's okay. available? What, uh, what kind of pets we got? Okay, so right now we have tons of kitties. It's kitty season more so than ever right now in the summertime. And so I think we have 27 adopt well our we have 27 adoptable cat kennels in the front and they are all full of mostly kitties and we have some adults, but we have lots of adorable kittens like face after face, tabbies, black kitties, orange kitties, wow. gray kitties, yeah, just you name wow. it. And then we've got a few adults, but lots of cute, adorable little kittens. Uh, the great thing about our adoptions, um, we actually cover pretty much everything for a super, super low fee. So for cats, it's only $10. That covers mm-hmm. spay or neuter. It covers microchipping. That covers age-appropriate vaccinations. So the idea is instead of paying a, a huge adoption fee, we want our people to take that money, go get supplies for your animal. If it's a dog, go get that heartworm prevention and flea prevention, and that way you don't have to spend a lot of money in two places. You just spend it in one place and get prepared for the animal. So, And then as far as dogs, um, I think we have about 65 dogs currently available for adoption. And oh, same wow. thing with them. Wow. Yeah, a lot of dogs. So $25 is the adoption fee for those guys and gals. And same thing, uh, microchipping is covered, spay and neutered, and age-appropriate vaccination. So it's a super great way to adopt an animal, very, very low cost, and we have lots of great faces. We don't have a lot of little dogs. We do get them in, but they go pretty quickly. But we have some wonderful medium to large size dogs. And I know people think, oh, all you have are pit bulls. Well, we do have a lot of bully breeds, and they are amazing, and they get a bad a brat, but we mm-hmm. have some great dogs. But we also have other breeds, too. We have a lot of mixed breeds. I think we have some labs. We've got um, an Aussie mix. We have a wonderful cattle dog right now who is just amazing. And then we've got... Oh, smart. What else? Oh, yeah. And dogs he's, are amazingly smart. Yeah. And he's... he's yeah. He wants to okay. love everybody. He literally will walk up to every person and give them, like, mm-hmm. jump up and give them a hug. He's just a fantastic dog. And then, you know, basically if somebody is looking for something when they come in and they're not sure, we try to pair them up with something that will be a good fit for their family. You know, if they have kids, so they need a more kind of easygoing dog, or if they're home by themselves and they don't really care if, you know, to have any other animals over, they just want a quiet, calm dog, you know, we have those too. So we try to pair it up depending on their lifestyle, to make sure it's a good match because we don't want to see the animals come back. We want them to have a good shot, you know, at a forever home. So that's kind of what we do, just try to see what's a good fit for them. We've got, like, one of our our longest residents actually right now is Molly. So she came in a year ago, February, under a case that we were doing. And Mm -hmm. she's a little pity mix. Um, Well, there was a... There was over 80 dogs that uh, a rescue had kind of gotten in over their head, and they uh, worked with our animal control staff and surrendered the animals. And so we did, like, a massive adoption event and worked with other groups in the state. So we were able to transfer out about 80-plus dogs at that time so that we don't, did not have to euthanize any dogs for space, which was a amazing undertaking. So we were real proud of our community for stepping up and helping. So she's the last one left from that case and she does not like other animals and I think she had probably had a, some trauma in her in her past judging by her behavior. But mm-hmm. so she's a little un, untrusting at first. She's very scared, but once she trusts someone, she's amazing. Uh she went to a foster home, has 
has done great there. Now she's back in the office. She's like superbly house trained. She rarely barks. She goes in and she's out. She walks nicely on leash. If somebody just maybe doesn't have other pets and maybe it's just an adult only household, she would be fantastic. But she gets overlooked, you know, because she doesn't warm up to people right away. So, but you know, for somebody, she's going to be like the perfect dog. We just have to find that perfect person. So. Yeah, that's really huge. I don't know if people think about that, but matching up uh, animals, especially, you know, because people will spend hundreds, I guess sometimes thousands of dollars on, on particular breeds. And they might get a dog that right. hates you. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah. this is why I think it's much better. Get to meet your dog first. You know, it's like yeah, a dog kid. And puppies, you, know, you don't know yeah. what you're going to get. <laughs> exactly. And puppies like, are you know, wonderful, and puppies you know. get adopted quickly. But, yeah, like you said, mm-hmm. if you get them as an adult, you're going to get a little better idea of, you know, how they, how they are. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, you might – for example, you might be an active person, so a lab might be great for you. For me, not so much. I'd rather have a lazier dog, so I'm not going to, you know, so if somebody comes in and they're like a couch potato and they're like, hey, I want to get this husky, we're going to be like, mm, you know, we're not going to tell them no, but we're going to say, hey, this is what a husky requires. They like, you know, they, yeah. they need activity, they need to run. Is that something that you feel they like is going to work for you? Yeah, yeah. If you're just gonna, you know, yeah, if you're gonna sit in the house all day and not give him exercise, he's gonna destroy your house. So you want to make sure, like, you're picking a dog that's gonna work for your lifestyle. You don't want to make it hard on yourself. You want to make it Uh easy for you and the pet. So we just try to help people make a good decision. Sometimes we're off, sometimes they're off, but more often than not, we make good matches. So. Well, that's good. We have dog parks around here, don't we? I mean, places where people can yes, we do. Um, And dog parks. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so what we encourage people to do for dog parks is investigate first. Make sure that when you do go, make sure that your dog is dog-friendly because we don't want your dog to hurt someone else. And then also kind of read the room, basically, because sometimes people who are not so responsible will take their dogs to dog parks. So make sure that the dogs that you see out there, you know, look like they're playing nicely with others. I'm not a huge fan of dog parks personally, but... Okay. You know, in a Why? good environment, if people are well, because we just sometimes people bring dogs that don't have any business in another place like that because they're not dog friendly or they're very dominant with other dogs. So you basically just have to make sure whoever's there at the time are that they're suitable to be playmates with your dog. So just Would being the cautious, people you know, be equally abusive and, and try to be dominant as well. Are we talking like people that are proving their their, their toughness? I mean, I'm just, I'm just imagining no, basically the, the... just the dog. Yeah. Okay. Well, right, you know, sometimes you, know. you yeah, sometimes you'll have someone with a dog that's like really bossy and trying to beat up the other dogs, and then the owner maybe is not being the responsible person that they should, and correcting their dog and letting their kind of dog be just you know like when you go to a restaurant and there's an unruly child in the the parent doesn't correct them and you're like, hey, you need to get onto your child. Kind of like that. So it yeah, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad dog, but maybe they have bad bad manners. And so a dog park is a place where you want to make sure the other participants have good manners. So just being cautious, reading the room, make sure that those dogs, you know, are, and if you have an issue when you get there, just just leave. You know, you don't want to take a chance with your dog. So, But some dog parks are great. It really just depends on the participants that are in there at the time. So. Yeah, I'm just thinking of uh, of an owner with the leather jacket, and then the the dog has one of those spike collar things, you know, to look tough. And <laughs> then the owner has a spike collar too, and it's like, yeah, man, I'm like, what's my dog here? What are you gonna do about it? You know, and I just I yeah, and they're usually probably the the most docile dogs too, the ones with the spike collars generally. So. I would, uh, I would <laughs> hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting too. Okay. Um, something you mentioned early. Well, first of all, I was thinking too. We should get pictures. So if you want to post pictures on my page, or just tell people where to go to. Uh, um, get pictures of these animals. So, so let me let's take a Facebook page right now. Just out of curiosity, you okay. guys are on. Yes, right? we post. 
Yes, we post lots of Facebook pages or Facebook pictures. Santa Rosa County Animal Services page on Facebook, and we try to like we don't. If you go to our website, you can see everybody, but we try to put you know at least a dog or two a day on there or something that whatever is going on at the shelter. Uh, like we had a community cat day this week, and that was great. We I think we altered 49 cats in one day, so our surgery team knocked it out of the park. We're, we usually only take 20, and there was such a amount of so many people showed up and they just didn't want to turn people away so they stayed till the wee hours of the evening getting those animals altered so that we can you know get those back to the people and make sure that that many animals are not reproducing out there so so you do your own um i guess uh what, what spaying and neutering Right there. Yeah, we do have, we initially had two part-time vets. We now have one, so we have, he's got a lot on his back right now, but he's doing an amazing job. So we do our animals, um, so we don't see the public animals, but we do any of our animals here, they get spayed or neutered in-house, and then also any clinical issues, our vet is seeing them for that here as well. And then we do the community cat days, and we kind of do those. We just schedule them out as we can. We've had two this month, and we're just going to try to see when we can fit one in soon, you know, because there's such a need for that. Okay. i just uh, sharing your page to my page, so we've got the... Uh, yeah, we've got uh, some cooties on there for sure, and we're going to post oh, some Fourth of July pictures too soon. We've got mm-hmm. the dogs with the, the sunglasses and the beach thing, and it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't post it when you share it, so that's no fun. Anyway, uh, so no. go to Santa Rosa County Animal Services page. Yeah, you guys have got to work on that. Uh, and it's, we've got Casey, the... Uh, yeah, in the, the the Australian cattle dog, are, are they good for like families with large kids because <laughs> they all get herded? What's that now? Cattle dogs are they good for, for like the herding dogs, Australian shepherds, you know, uh, things like that. Cattle dogs, any of the dogs that herd, border collies, are they good for large families because they're used to herding? Um, generally, they're really good with families, but um, one of the things we do see, some people don't do the research on the breed, and they're like, this uh-huh. dog's nipping at my kid's feet. Well, yeah, he's a herd herding dog, so he's going to herd your children just as he would cattle. So <laughs> that's one thing that. to kind of just be aware. Do your research if you do get a dog that's a certain breed. The one we have now, I don't really think, only thing he wants to do is just get in people's laps. So I don't think he's the typical cattle dog. He's more of like, he wants to just love on every single person. We had a, a volunteer group come in and he literally went from eight people from person to person hugging on each person. So Aww. he's just a, just a love ball. You know, we just, okay. he's a great dog. So if someone's interested, you know, come up today because I don't think it'll last long. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, last song is being available for a pet. Come on, folks, that's what we're talking about here. Just don't anybody misconceptions here. Um, I think probably the most important thing you said earlier, the, the, the no-kill policy, because we all think of animal shelters as a place where animals go, they're there for a few weeks, and they're gone. Uh, right. Pets out so, there and it's a problem. so let's let's talk about that. And then yeah. Probably... So ideally, the shelter is supposed to be here as a refuge, a temporary refuge, until animals can get back to their owners. So that's kind right. of what it was designed for. And then if there's a few that don't get claimed, then they would be adopted out. Well, what we were seeing over the years that I've been here is just people dumping their their own animals not spaying and neutering their pets so that you have litter after litter and so the way that it was being kept up with was high euthanasia rates we're talking we were one of the highest in the state and so wow. the community was like hey we don't want this this is not what we want for our animals in in the area so mm-hmm. a lot of you know things were happening so in about 2018 things started have you know changing up we had a ban on um, certain breeds we couldn't adopt out we removed that ban because that's it's not about a breed it's about how this particular dog's behavior is. So we mm-hmm. re- removed the ban and that helped. And then we basically just been working hard to try to adopt more. We're trying to help people, um, you know, 
with resources when they have an animal that they're not sure they're having trouble with. And so primarily we're now just taking straight animals. We, for the most part, don't take owner surrenders anymore. We just try to give them resources to try to, if they have a dog they need to rehome or a cat, what to do. And that's allowed us to focus on what we're supposed to be here for, which is taking in stray animals and then trying to, re, you know, reunite them with their owners. Or if they don't have an owner or no one comes, then we try to rehome them. And that has allowed us to go into the no-kill status, which is 90% or above save rate. So there's a 10% window, and that allows for, because you can't save every single animal, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. we're going to have a dog that's maybe hit by a car. Injuries are so severe that he cannot be saved. Well, he would have to be humanely euthanized. Or if there's a dog that's a danger to the community, let's say this dog has bit four people and mm -hmm. you can't touch him, well, we're not going to adopt that dog out because he's not safe for the community. So that's where that 10% kind of comes in to allow right. for those cases like that. But the main goal is to anything that's friendly, when we're going to, you know, we're not euthanizing for space. We are doing what we can to get everybody home. And then also with cats, sometimes we get feral cats in, and instead of euthanizing those cats is what used to happen. Now we are TNR in them, which means we're going to neuter them, spare neuter them, ear tip them, and they get released back to the community as long as they're healthy because obviously they had a food source before they came to us, and as right. long as they're healthy, they're going to be put back into that area. So, And that's really helping yeah, that's us to not have to euthanize. So. There are cat areas. I've, I've seen shopping centers in different places, and you see little mm -hmm. food bowls and water bowls out for cats. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I know people that do this. You know, that's, that's one of those things. They volunteer. So there are cat communities. Yeah. Are those sanctioned, okay, kind of voluntary, nobody knows about it, it you know, there's nothing really done about it. What, what's, the, what's the status of some of those places? Yeah, so for, um, call, we'll call them cat colonies, and so a lot of those are run okay. by one or two people that are basically caring for them. Now, a responsible uh -huh. person running a cat colony will be getting all of those animals altered, and that way they're not reproducing, and they're controlling right. the population, and that's the yeah, right way to do it. Yes, and that's for. what that's yeah. for. Okay. That's That yeah. way you can look at an animal from afar and know, okay, that one's already fixed. We don't have to worry about him. He should have mm -hmm. had a rabies when he got that ear tip done. So that way you kind of know if somebody is working on getting animals altered, the ones that are ear tipped, you don't have to worry about those. And right. we do have um, – we have changed the ordinance in our um, local – or local ordinances to reflect on the TNR that if it's a community cat, so it, it falls in, under a different jurisdiction as opposed to an owned animal. So cats and dogs in, in a leash law area, even if it's mm -hmm. a cat, they have to be on leash if they're on their property and under your command, but if they're off your property, they have to be on the leash. And so for the community cats, they don't fall under that, so it's a little bit different. And I think that helps for the people that are trying to help these community cats and get them altered and everything, then that kind of frees them up just to work on the problem, which is getting them fixed. So that helps a lot. Is that still a huge problem? There, there are cats and dogs out there. Oh, absolutely. So really? many, okay. so many. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. more than we can actually keep up with. Um, so that's why we're trying to offer these community cat days when we can. We don't charge mm -hmm. the public anything. We just want them to get these animals in because we've got to get a hold on this overpopulation. So we just encourage people if you're you know, if you're feeding a cat, if you're going to take that responsibility on, get that animal fixed because otherwise you're going to have 30 cats in a year because they just reproduce so quickly. And we just, you know, that's something we really have to stay on top of as a community. Wow. This has been fabulous. That half hour went pretty fast, huh? Yeah, it actually did. I feel like I've been <laughs> rattling on. <laughs> you know, you're great. Well, we'll, just, we'll definitely do this. Uh, I want to do this, do this on a regular basis every week. Okay. Um, Derek's here. Sounds We're going to talk money now. Um, but just let's give you your contact information one more time. And Tara D., thank you so much. I'm really glad to have you on the show. Yes, thanks for having us.
So contact one more time. Phone number. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. Yep. So okay. phone number eight five zero nine eight three four six eight zero at the shelter, and then our website is santarosa.fl.gov/animals, and then also you can check us out on Facebook. We've got some special babies that we're featuring on there as well. Oh, and we are open open Monday through Friday, eleven thirty till four thirty. Saturdays mm-hmm. ten until three thirty. Wednesdays we're open late until six thirty. You should definitely do a lot more radio. You're good at this. Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Charity. And we'll talk next okay, week. Okay, thank you. All right, have a great right. weekend. Yeah, you too. Happy fourth. And let's uh let's get some money. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities. And then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade energy, even government? To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park, our Action Radio financial reporter, joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Yeah, we just added a, a pup date. We've got uh, Tara D from the Animal Shelter, Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter, is going to be joining us before you come on. So we're going to hear all about the critters, which is kind of cool. All right. Do you have pets? <laughs> Do you, do you have pets? I do. I have two two cats. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I, I think you do for dog person. I don't know why. Snake. You no. Snake? I mean, I, I I used to have a snake. Yeah. Uh, when when I was in uh, when I was in college, you know, me and my my fiance, who is now my wife, uh-huh. um, we uh, we were we liked snakes. I mean, we were just intrigued by them. So we went. Uh, um, I went to school in Mobile, and we actually came over to Pensacola because that's the only place we could find uh, baby uh, ball pythons. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, we bought it when it could fit in the palm of my hand and raised it until it was a four and a half feet uh, for, oh man, how long did we have that thing? Like 13, 14 years? Really? Um, yeah, until, until I got um, stationed over in Hawaii, and you can't take a snake there. So, oh, no, um, no. I had, to, uh... had to find yeah, in fact, they had to, they brought mongooses there. It was like the the snakes were were killing oh, yeah. the the state bird, yeah. the nini, and then they brought yeah. mongooses. The mo- mongooses, and the mongooses were, were going after them. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they were they were yeah they're they're crazy. They're an invasive species over there now. So it's uh yeah. you know we used to we used to feed because you know I mean there's tropical birds there. There's parakeets everywhere. Um, there's these uh, finches called um, uh, Java finches. They look like little penguins. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so, I mean there's just gorgeous birds everywhere. We used to feed them. And um, they had this white fence, and it had about two or three inches, you know, above the ground. And right. the mongoose would would run the edge of it. And when a bird got on the ground, buddy, they would come out and maul them. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, it, it was it was it was nature at its worst. <laughs> oh yeah, if you ever see a weasel attack a rabbit, I have a friend who was traumatized in her childhood when a weasel came out and killed a rabbit because it's not pretty. I mean, it's it's violent. Yeah. Um, but oh, yeah, it's interesting yeah. that uh, they thought they were doing the right thing by bringing the mongoose to kill the snakes, but of course the mongoose then killed everything yeah. else. You know, you don't do that, folks. Yeah. It's just uh, Burmese pythons. And those, um, comes to mind here. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two other things out there that are um, one of them is an invasive species, the other one's not, but it's it, it, it's just really cool. Um, they have those giant African snails. Um, oh. are out there and they, they were brought there for um, for something and they, you know they've obviously turned into an invasive species so these snails are like the ones that we have around here just like 100 times the size they're literally the size of your fist um, oh you know so I, I, I actually have yet. a shell for one in uh-huh. my in my office 
Um, uh-huh. You know, and I tell people when you see that shell that's in the bathroom, I said, that's not a seashell. That is actually a snail. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a big one. Um, wow. You know, and then they have these um, these giant toads. Um, you know, I mean, these things, I have a picture of a quarter next to one. But, yeah, they're also about as big as your fist. Um, you know, just monstrous sized toad. Um, what were they brought here for? Really or were cool. they just... I'm not, I'm not sure what they what they are, huh. um, you know, but I, and I don't believe they're an invasive species. The only bad thing about it is when they're in their season, you know, for, for mating and reproducing, you know, it's during the rain season and they'll get out on the road and it's hard to avoid them. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's like the black it's, crickets. Have you seen those things, those enormous black crickets uh-uh. by the shoreline? Oh, you're talking about the, like the locust? The locust, locust whatever those things are, yeah. Yeah, four inches long. Yeah, yeah. They, they get yeah, you get them too. down in Central Florida. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've never seen big swarms of them, but, you know, I mean, I grew up in Central Florida for half my right. life. And, um, you know, we used to use them as, as fishing bait. You know, we catch them, <laughs> you know, and, yeah, I'm sure and they're great cook them. Yeah. What, uh, oh, yeah, what, what what you bass, bass love them. I'm sure. What's that? I'm, sh- I'm yeah. sure they do. I was going to say the uh, – uh, we're having fun this morning. This is, well, it's Friday. We can, we can kick around a little bit. Yeah. Um, Pianchi's on the line, too. I'll get to him in a second. But uh, what uh, we used to have in Mount uh, Diablo, which is a 4,000-foot mountain uh, just outside San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, has a, a, a you know, multi-trillion tarantula population, and they all migrate in the fall. Oh, well. And if you, have to, if you have to go up there for any reason, you know, the, all the roads are covered with tarantulas, and they're all doing their thing to mm-hmm. the next generation, right? And so they're yeah. everywhere. So I remember uh, working for, a, like, a package delivery company years and years ago and I had to make a delivery during tarantula migration season well I want to tell you I ran fast <laughs> you, know, you can't help it right? crunching and running yeah. and crunching and running oh the adventures of our youth you yeah know. Um, you know in, you in, know they, uh, in yeah. Iraq they have um, uh, camel spiders and you know these things uh, oh, no. they, they get as big as a small dinner plate you know and I mean oh. they're 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 actually they're non-lethal you know I mean they're they'll hunt other spiders and scorpions and stuff like that like a wolf spider kind golly, of thing? They, yeah, kind of like that, but they're they're okay. more desert looking, um, and they get these right. giant mandibles. Um, they are, uh, I mean, they're just scary looking, and they move fairly quick. And you know, we, we'd be in our tent, and in the middle of the night, sometimes you'd hear plop, and you knew what it was. You know what I mean? They would fall down off the ceiling, and you're just like, oh my god, where is this? <laughs> uh, yeah, so a little 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 scary. And I, I only Didn't ran about that in basic training. Time. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, everybody scrambles for the light to find out where the monster spider is. You know, so oh, you're just you don't want that thing to crawl over your face in the middle of the night. Oh no, no! Even though they're not deadly, they're still horrifying. <laughs> you know, especially if you wake oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, there's and, some, and I'm not necessarily some, scared of them, man. But when you see a, a spider that's as big as your hand spread out, you know, you're just like, oh, oh yeah. Gosh. <laughs> oh no! Listen, I uh, you know? I encountered a wolf spider at the age of ten in Australia uh, when I was living there. Yeah. And, you know, basically, I, I barely woke it up. You know, lifted the toilet seat, and there it was. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> I jumped back like ten feet. Because it was like, you know, three feet from my face. And it's like, you know, because little kid, I was, you know, four foot, whatever I was back then. Yeah. But, uh, I yeah, I, you, I got a picture of one on the Blackwater. Um, you know, it, oh, okay. and it's not a camel spider, but this, uh, you know, my wife is the one that pointed it out. We were, we were, it was one on the Blackwater. It was on the Coldwater Creek. We were just, uh-huh. uh, you know, we, we go out there and just kind of chill in the cool water during the hot summer. And, um, you know, my wife is like, there is a giant spider over there on the bank. And I've never seen one like this, but it was a big brown. I got a picture of it in my phone somewhere. But the thing okay. is, at least four inches across, um, you know, and it's uh, and it's not real, real fuzzy. Um, it just kind of looks, almost look like a like a big brown recluse. Uh, that's the best, best, but a darker brown. And I've never yeah, seen those one are like gen- that. Those are lethal, brown. though, yeah. But, uh, yeah, oh, those, those can um, be, yeah. 
Yeah. Post it to our environmental action. We've got an action radio environmental uh, action project. And somebody yeah, will tell you like what it is because we have people yeah. that know okay. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one okay. thing we never talked about, now that I think about this, is is the pet economy. Um, pet food, pets in now? general, pets. Has anybody oh, – yeah. you, have you ever – pet stock, you know, companies – because this is a multi-billion dollar industry in this country because everybody has a dog oh, sure. yeah, except yeah. you with two cats. Or everybody has a cat. Everybody's got a pet. Um, Almost everybody, except me. Oh yeah. Except me, yeah, yeah. have a pet. I mean, I got. I mean, my 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 cats are spoiled. I promise you. Um, you know, well, sure. act like so that. how big an effect on the economy is this? And 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 are people um, sacrificing for their pets even though the economy sucks right now? Why shouldn't that? We all we day, that last all week. Day, the economy yeah. has seen better so, days. So tell me. Chewy, Chewy, um, which is you know the the one of the biggest um, pet food and and animal supply chains. Um, you know, it's like the Amazon of of uh, of pet uh-huh. pet stuff. Right. Um, you know, Chewy, um, you know, they're they're like a number one stock pick, man. Um, you know, them and then there's another company, I believe it's called Zotus. Um, hold on. Z T S if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Ralston Ralston Purina or Kennel Ration or some of those other things, the pet food makers. Um Is that Zotus what the money is or anti infective, vaccines, pesticides, blah 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 blah, revenue, hmm. animals, cattle, pigs, poultry, so um, dogs, horses, cats, companions make up the other half, so it's 50-50. Um, mm-hmm. The firm has the largest market share in the industry and was previously Pfizer's animal health unit. Oh, that's um, a great recommendation. Yeah, so that's Zotus and then Chewy. Those are the only two. I know there's other ones. Um, I've never um, heard of them. And I don't know where – yeah, I, I hadn't either, but, I mean, um, about – about two years ago, um, you know, I started started selling it to people, and you uh-huh. know, I mean, it had a good peak in 2021. It kind of dipped down, but it looks like it's on its way back up. Are, are pet industries as affected by the recession, or do people just pay for their pets regardless, or do you see cutbacks like they would for everything mm. else, their own food? People will sacrifice their own food and medicine for a recession, but their pets, you know, people are just kind of reluctant to do that. Pets and kids. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure. It's nothing I've, I've I've ever looked at specifically, but I mean, okay. when it comes to pets, I mean, I, you know, there's in my housing development, they posted this picture of this melted styrofoam cup, and this lady said, <clears throat> you know, make sure you this is from the hot pavement out here, and you know, make sure you protect your fur babies. And I was like, I said, ma'am, I was like, you know, I, I, while I agree, you shouldn't walk your dogs on extremely hot pavement or you know, cats for that matter. I said, but. The melting point of styrofoam is like 450 degrees. <laughs> you know, I was like, the sun, the, oh, don't bother the sun didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, see, no, nobody commented on it because nobody cares. They're just like, you know, <laughs> they want to live in their, in their, um, you know, what's, what's, what's the world, the virtue signaling world, um, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, about, yeah. you know, how they feel. And, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating walking your dog in the hot sun and leaving them in your hot car. I'm just saying, like, you know. No. Uh, the realm of realistic, a, a styrofoam cup is not going to melt on the pavement. It's not going to happen. No, no, no. But if you drip a few drops of gasoline on it, it will. <laughs> All day. It. It's how napalm yeah. is made. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, let's get yeah. to the report and let's get see what Pianki has on his mind for the economy because we've talked. We've been ta- we're gonna, and then we're going to hit you know Supreme Court for probably the rest of the show unless Candace yeah. joins us. And I'm still not sure about By that By the yet. way, on here, and uh-huh. I just noticed this, Zotus, oh, Zotus owns PetSmart. That was the company I was thinking of. Yeah, PetSmart. That would be another big thing. So do yeah. you know how big this so is? They, uh, yeah. Do they say how big the economy is for pets in this country? Just out of curiosity. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Chewy owns owns PetSmart. My bad. I was looking Chewy up, not Zotus. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. They sound like uh, antidepressants. Chewy is a, 
No, Zotus, Chewy is a your, uh, small okay. small to mid cap company, and then Zotus uh-huh. is a large cap. So, I mean, you know, large cap would imply that the economy for pets is is robust. Billions. I would imagine so. You know, I mean, it has to be over billions because it's a large cap. So, I think the okay. definition of a large cap is something like something like over ten billion, if I'm not mistaken, in market share. And that's just one company, so it. yeah. Okay. So yeah, is it big, have, well, I, I thought it was big. I just wasn't sure how big. That's why yeah. I was curious. Okay. Well, let's, let's get uh, let's get to report, and then we'll get to see what Pianchi has uh, for a question. That's it. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek with the Action Radio Financial Report. Stocks climb as we approach the end of the second quarter. Markets closed broadly higher today. Some of the country's biggest banks passed a Federal Reserve stress test and would be able to weather a severe recession, according to the Fed, driving big bank stocks higher. Final revision of the first quarter GDP showed the economy growing 2% up from the initial estimate of 1.3 and higher than the estimates. Strong consumer spending and exports were major drivers in the growth. Latest GDP data is driving Treasury yields higher and prices lower as investors anticipate higher for longer rates as Fed tries to cool inflationary pressures. Fed Chair Powell has recently said he expects more restrictive measures to shape in the next few months, including the possibility of additional rate hikes aimed at reducing demand. In tandem with the growth story, weekly jobless claims fell to 239,000, the lowest level since May, um, and lower than economists had expected. Combination of stronger than expected GDP growth and resilient labor markets show the U.S. economy is still on solid footing despite the, despite the Fed rate hikes. Internationally, stocks were mixed. Oil prices seem to be holding steady around $70 a barrel, likely lower than what OPEC Plus is aiming for, but weak economy data, data out of China is putting a damper on forward-looking estimates of energy demand. The U.S. equities closed higher, and the Dow Jones was up 270 points, or 0.8 to 34,122. The NASDAQ closed down zero points, or uh, basically flat, at 13,591. S&P 500 closed up 20 points, or 0.45 to 4,397. And in the bond market, 10-year Treasury yields are trading at 3.85%, higher by 0.13. In the commodity markets, crude price of crude oil was up 26 cents or 0.37% to 69.82, and the spot price of gold was down $6.20 or um, minus 0.32 to 19.16. Uh, this is Derek with the Action Radio uh, Financial Report. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Hmm. This is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what the rate of inflation is right now? Is it like 4 or 5% Four. somewhere there? Four percent. Okay. Four. Yep. So if we got four percent inflation and we've got two percent growth, can we say that we really have a two percent reduction in the economy, or are they not exactly trans, uh, transferable <clears throat> or directly correlating figures? Um, I would say that they correlate in in some way, shape, or form, but not directly. So the reason the the reason the Fed's probably going to continue with it, I they say two more rate hikes. I think one, and that's a that's my opinion. And the reason mm-hmm. being is really the two things that Americans use most um, or need most is going to be food and going to be um, the housing. So I think right. the Fed, uh, because those prices are remaining sticky, is really trying to get them to go down a little bit. They may achieve that because the housing market has already started its its you know pricing in some of the some of the the inventory right. Um, and, and I mean, I don't, you know, vehicles that started happening about a month ago, 
You know what I mean? You started seeing, you know, we'll give you 10,000 off MSRP, right? Because they're not moving vehicles now. Um, no, you know, people are so, hanging on to so, longer. Yeah. So they talk about reducing right. demand, but the the economies are already reduced the demand. The the, the price, the, the inflation of the price. Well, I say inflation because that's different. But the increase in prices has reduced demand. So why would they need to to raise interest rates when they've already got the, the they've engineered the economies with all the inflation? So that's automatically increasing in prices. That's reducing demand. That's the whole. That's what happens when you raise prices. Yeah. You have to understand that naturally, when they raise the prices um, or, or raise the, con- or I'm sorry, they raise the Fed funds rate. Um, you know that does add add better savings rates. You know and incentivizes people to put money in the bank, right? Instead right. of spending it. You know because now they can make money safely, right? Without having yeah. to take risk in the margins. So you know it incentivizes people to save. Number one, and then number two, the higher rates for borrowing incentivizes people to not borrow money. Right. And that's that's working right now. Right. So they saw over the past three months um, something like a 20 percent lower in mortgage rates, you know, um, you know, than than than, you know, previous years and stuff like that. So um, housing um, um, in this area, for example, you know, many of the the more expensive houses have had to be discounted because people aren't going to buy them. Right. Nobody wants to pay those high interest rates. So, you know, it's their effect on the economy is I, I would say that it's working. You know, I mean, inflation is trailing down, but the things that are sticky are um, food. I'd have to pull up the chart. There's like 14 things that they have listed, and there's like three or four of them that are that are holding high in um, in cost. Well, food, you need food. <laughs> you know, people buy food all the time. It's something, and it, once you buy it, it's gone. <laughs> you know, it's not like you, you buy a car right. and you can keep it for 20 years. You buy food. And, you know, you got to eat right away unless it's in a can or a jar or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to Pianchi. Pianchi, do you have a question for, for Derek? He only has limited time this morning, so I'll make sure to get you in. Yeah, good morning, Derek. I missed you for the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, stuff going on Fridays. <laughs> yeah. Next time you see that snail, take me in the house and cook it. But anyway. <laughs> Escargot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The price of food, not only the price of food have went up in packaged food, but the quantity. You can damn near hold a pack of gum in the palm of your hand nowadays. But uh, yeah. that's another thing you have to consider, too. That's a really oh, good yeah. point. I yeah. want to stop there just for a second and talk about that because, you know, a lot of the, the one pound, 16 ounce, the 16 ounce packages are now 14.75. You know, my, my gourmet chocolate, you know, the, the 90% and above is not 3.5 ounces anymore. It's 3.15. You know, so their inflation, this must be a way that they're trying to make the prices not look so bad is they're actually reducing the quantity, the portion size. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, um, <laughs> I used to buy those, uh, what is it? The uh, the Pepperidge Farms Bruffles, right? Those are like some of my favorite little cookies, right? Those things right. used to have three tiers, three tiers inside of them, and used to weigh so much. Well, now it's like two tiers, and there's like five cookies per. It's like, oh my god, right? Wait, like, hey, where did it all go? Oh no. Yeah. So so price inflation, quantity deflation, kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, well, what they did that also with like, dimensional like, numbers. What they did that with dimensional lumber. You know, three quarter sheet of plywood was three quarters. Now it's like let's see, four three, uh, what, eleven thirty so thirty two uh, thirty one thirty seconds, eleven thirty seconds, something along those lines. So yeah. um, the size is being reduced 
and the prices are going up. Yeah, I'll tell you when I used to when I used to build houses um, back before I went in the army. This is like circa 2000, 1998. Um, uh, you know, we we would remodel houses and stuff like that, and when we would take it down to the studs, you know, some of the houses that were built up until oh man, like. It's like in the 60s, maybe, and not the 70s, they started to change that. But, like, you go before the 60s, the the 2x4 was a real 2x4. It was, like, square, had edges, you know what I mean? Like, you would measure two inches straight across, and it was four inches deep. You know, now, you know what I mean, uh, the 2x4 is, you know, one one and three quarters, one and a half, you know, uh, by, by three and a half. Inch and a half. Yeah. Inch and a half by three and a half. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> so I can't remember, but yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously the dimensions have changed. Um, you know, it's uh, what is it they call um, uh, half-inch sheetrock is actually, um, you know, like a eighth-inch shorter than a, than, than, than a half-inch. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's not, but three-eighths is considered more like a quarter. Don't we have standards on that, though? I mean, uh, weights and measures, one of the you duties do? of yeah. Congress is to maintain standards. So if something's a pound, you know, now the, I guess companies, they're not required to, to give you a pound, but it used to be fairly standard that you'd get stuff in pounds, quarts, gallons, pints, you know, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And now they're just, is, is anybody measuring that? Has anybody measured the reduction in portion size as a measure of inflation? The, 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 I don't know how you would do that, but I didn't think of that until just now. Is that taking I'm sure they are. If if I if I look for it, um, you know, I haven't seen anything specific. Okay, well, I'm just just speculating. Yeah, kind of curious. Yeah, it's like if gold went from uh, you know 14 carat down to 12, <laughs> you know, have they charged the same amount? Where else can they reduce more ethanol in your gasoline, for example? Instead of it used to be 10 percent, now it's 10 to 15 percent. So they're watering down the gasoline. Yeah, well, at least we're getting a gallon if we were someplace else. We, okay, we're getting someplace else. We'd be liters and milliliters. We don't want to, don't give no ideas out there, Greg. Well, no, the leaders are, are, are the, uh, what, you know, we're in the British system, which is kind of funny being Americans, and uh, they're on the metric. So leaders, leaders is very deceiving. You go to another country and you buy gas and leaders, they, oh, what a great deal. It's really cheap here. No, it's not. Because <laughs> no. that's taxed no. for their health care plan. Yeah. Pay it almost double. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they they're yeah. paying, um, but that's going to their their national healthcare system. Like Canada, you know, roughly eight dollars a gallon. You know, if we're paying four here, they're or paying three here, it's like eight dollars there. So that extra five bucks yeah. is, is going to their healthcare plan. So they so when they talk about free healthcare, it's only free, you know, if you if you don't have a car, <laughs> or or that portion of it you get. Um, right. But the, but the, the the drivers are subsidizing that heavily. Okay, just curious. Right. So what's what's uh, and we got five minutes left with you because I know you have to go early. We're actually actually on time, and I always keep them longer. Um, so what's 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 uh, what's your name doing? Janet Yellen doing? What's the, 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 some like global tax and some other nonsense? And or what do you think is the most important issue that you found this week? Because we've been talking Supreme Court the whole time. Oh man, most important issue. Or, or is there anything that's mm. on your mind? I want, I want to give you the five minutes because I tend to monopolize and ask lots of questions. No, um, man. Because I have one. Um, you know. I'm just trying to. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I, I really don't. You know, I mean, I haven't seen anything that would that would make me make me concerned. Um, you know, the the inflation data. I mean, there's inflation data that's coming out today um, mm-hmm. that basically talks about you know the 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 statistics on how they get their statistics. And you know, obviously, um, you know, yesterday um, 
you know, it was it was bank stress test stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah, tell me about that. Been what's, a lot what's that about? How do they? So why do they stress the banks? The bank once <laughs> the Fed once a year does a stress test on banks, and what how they do that is basically they say, okay, we're going to send you guys a immediate request for X amount of money, and you have to show us how you're going to come up with it, right? Um, okay. Or they're going to say you have to distribute X amount of money, and you're going to have to show us how you're going to do it. And what that means is is like if there's a run on the bank, right? Like all the people start panicking and say, oh, let me get my money out right now. You know, are they able to, are they able to handle that? So like going into recession, you know what I mean? People tend to make poor decisions when it comes to that stuff. I mean, I, I'll give you a good example. You know what I mean? A lady, she's like, well, I'm worried about 08, 09, So I'm sitting on $30,000 in cash. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Huh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, What's 08, so, 09? Um, um, 08, 09 is uh, 2008, 2009. You know, so, oh, so this is, this is a while ago. All right. Yeah, the recession. Oh, worried, worried about, about another it, right? crash. That's what you're saying. They're worried about yeah, another exactly. crash coming. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so I'm using that as an example. So um, Fed comes in and says, okay, here banks, here's here's some here's some some issues, and we're going to test whether you can do this or not, and you have to report okay. back. Well, huh. you know, I mean, obviously the data that came in yesterday was fairly good that they were able to deal with it. That means that they're flush with cash and can and can deal with a run on the bank or you know, the Fed saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to increase your Fed reserve, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what that means is it's like they're telling them they have to hold more money, right? Um, you know, so, um, you know, stress test, you know, it was basically a good thing. I mean, is it finite? No. They had done stress tests a year before in 2007, and everything looked good. And then what happened in 08 and 09? You know, so, <laughs> um, you know. Well, it's, that was kind I, of overstressing the market, I think, yeah, sure. a little more than they expected. Well, yeah, are, yeah. are they better at it now? Yeah, probably. You know, I mean, okay. I, I would assume so. Um, you know, and then you've got this economic data that just came out this morning. Obviously, it's, it must have been good because the, the futures are up, right? So the market's going to start trading in about a half hour, and the futures are up like half a percent already. So, um, you know, that basically means that the data that came, and I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, so – I would say, you know, our economy, while people are worried about recession, whether we've been in one, not been in one, you know, I mean, I'm not going to argue that. You and I both know we think we've already been in one. Um, you know, we've met the criteria for it other than unemployment. I will argue that. Um, yeah, but, but, that's, um, but, the, but that's been subsidized so much that um, oh, people sure. aren't looking for a job. So the, 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 you really can't count that anymore. It's not the same measure. If you've got one of those right. COVID bills that paid people not to work for X number of years, and so they're not counted mm-hmm. as unemployed because they're not looking for a job, then that totally skews the unemployment figure. So if you took the real unemployment figure of those that are not yeah. working, the worker participation rate, as opposed to the unemployment rate, that would, make more, that would be a more valuable you know, number to use with inflation. Wouldn't it? Right, right. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. You know, I mean, so yeah. um, you know, our, our our economy, you know, a little skewed by COVID. You know, where we where we officially sit. Um, you know, so I, I yeah, I I would agree. You know, I mean, the numbers aren't finite. Huh? Do you think they're going to screw around with the numbers a little bit to make things look better for the election year? Ooh, <laughs> do I think so? I'm sure. <laughs> I'm okay. on it. Yeah, well, well, actually, it would be interesting to do rather than put you on the spot with that, but it'd be interesting to see what policies were changed during election years. Like, what did they do yeah. in, in 20, you know, 2020? What did they do in 2016? Um, 
because it takes what's about a year lead time. So we'd look at like 2015 for 2016. And it'd just be curious, yeah. it'd be like a research project if you have nothing better to do, uh, which you probably do. But just in case, <laughs> you know, I'd be curious what uh, election, because I know during the Obama you know, administration, which I actually call an administration because he was elected as opposed to the current resident. Um, but yeah. they kept the, infl- the there was no there was no interest. The, the interest was zero on purpose. And yeah. his, his economy right. grew at a pitiful one point whatever percent. Yeah, but his, but his policies well, yeah, are so yeah, bad. You yeah. know, Obama Obama took office, uh, you know, about three months or four months before the the market and the economy kind of bottomed out, right? Right. So the economy so, yeah. bottomed out, and then he spent his presidency, you know, um, you, you know, trying to repair the economy. And I mean, I don't, you know, not trying to toot his horn or, or anything like that. I don't, I don't necessarily do that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but what I'm, and, and, and I don't think he was a bad president. I mean, there's some people I'll, I'll say that from my heart. Oh, That's I, how do. I, feel. I don't think he was, I don't think he was <laughs> okay. as great as everybody makes it sound, but I don't think he was yeah. bad. But, um, 2014, um, we had a default, right? We had a default right. in the U S government. Why do we have a default? Well, I mean, you're talking about almost 100% democratic government was wanting to spend more money, and Obama said, no, that's not happening. He says, we yeah. need to cut spending, we need to curb it, and he said, I'm not going to sign any bill unless we reduce it, and he did, and it, and it forced the default. Well, that also was a almost 20% correction in the market, um, and our credit rating got downgraded to a, to a double A you know, because of the default, and I mean, I will tell you as a service member – I got weird paychecks during that time, you know, like huh. my pay would come in and, and, you know, I mean, we got warned several weeks in advance. They were like, okay, Hey, when your pay comes in, you know, you could not get it all. You could get pieces of it. And sure, sure. As uh, sure as they said, you know I mean? Like I got one check. I think, I think my pay at that point in time was about, you know, just short of three grand every, every two weeks. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, Oh man, I got like a thousand then I got like 500 <laughs> then I got like 700. <laughs> you know, and it, wow. it came in in like weird chunks. And then the next one, um, came in in a little weird chunks, but after that I didn't have a problem. So it was basically one month I had to deal with pay problems. Um, but you know I mean? That's, that was the result in the default. Huh? Yeah, I, I don't fault him as much for economics uh, other than the fact that he taxed too heavily and had too many regulations and the economy didn't grow. My problems with him were more constitutional and the things that he, that he brought to government, but that's, that's a whole different conversation. Um, but it would be interesting if, uh, if he'd adopted Trump proposals, the things that Trump did in 2016, uh, would have gotten us out of 2008 a whole lot faster. Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. you got to go? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes, got to go. So let me, okay. uh, let me, let me get out of here. Got an early appointment this morning. FYI, next week is is the one I'll be out. So it's Blue Angels, man. Sorry, we'll be there. (laughs) Don't be sorry. Send me a video. Post a video. Okay. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. If you know any of those guys, you know, I want to ride. I want want my Blue Angels ride because I'm media now. So I I should get my Blue Angels ride. What? Can you help me out? That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I don't so, know any of them. <laughs> so, huh. I'm, well, you're military. The Come on, I, I, I call in my friendships here. Come on, we got to get you. Get, let's get this in gear here. I want my ride. <laughs> the army so guy. The army jet. guy holds. The army guy holds no weight with these with the navy guys. Just FYI. Uh, <laughs> too bad. All right. Yeah. Hey, have a great weekend. Right, Fourth of July. We'll talk to you yep. in two weeks. All right. Thanks, Sounds Derek. Good. We'll see you. Yep. Bye bye. All right. Bye now. Yeah. If you missed this phone number, catch it at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, Pianki, any comments? I'm going to take a break here in just a second. So, uh, but uh, that was fun. I really wish you could be here every week, but it's summertime. He's got stuff to do. So, you know. That's well, yeah, works. you know, the <clears throat> Fred, Fed raising the rates will make people less likely to want to acquire dollars. And that itself would help the 
uh, inflation go down, but it goes to your point that when Congress borrows money, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of money in their hand and makes inflation go up. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't try to think of it. My, my favorite example is the accelerator and the brake. Like standing on the accelerator, that's, that's spending uh, and borrowing. And standing on the brake, that's, that's interest rates. Uh, but it's almost like, like cutting your arm. So in other words, you, you do something stupid and you cut your arm. Then you put a bandaid on it. And then, uh, and then you cut your arm again. <laughs> you know, you put a bigger bandaid on it. You know, you're not going anywhere. This is what's happening. So it's like the willful, you know, accident is inflation and, and the Band-Aid is uh, interest rates. And it doesn't, you're not helping because you're still cutting your arm, you know, or you're still standing on the accelerator until they stop the problem, until they stop the spending. And of course, we have a cure for that, obviously, I'm talking about it. But until they actually stop spending and stop borrowing, it's never going to, you're, you're going to always have inflation. We're going to have inflation throughout the entire brand and insurrection because they are addicted. They are obsessed. They are pathologically driven to spend money that they don't have. So they either don't care or ideologically this is part of their makeup or they're just psychotic. I, mean, I don't know any of the reason why they would do this. Why would you spend money you don't have and then lie to the American people? This is the pathology because they'll, they'll, they'll spend money they don't have, you know, making a situation where they have to raise the debt ceiling to cover money that they spent that they didn't have, that they spent illegally because it was above the debt ceiling, and then say, well, we have to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations. Well, those obligations were made illegally above the debt ceiling. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. It's the only way you can have things above to raise, you know, by necessity to raise the debt ceiling. The only way you can have a situation where you have to raise the debt ceiling is you spent more money, you violated the debt ceiling to get there. I don't know any other way to do it. But that's the problem. Well, when you have more money, when you have mm-hmm. more dollars out there, then manufacturers and, and product producers are going to do what's natural. They're going, they're going to divide what they have to sell mm-hmm. and make more units by reducing the amount in any particular unit, like you made reference before. If one time you got 16 ounces, now they give you 14.75 ounces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I see it all the so time. They're getting, you, so they, they're getting rid of less of their supply, right. but charging just is more. And overall, they will make more because they would have more to sell at a higher price. Yeah, even so though at, even yeah. at the standard price. Yeah. You don't have to raise yeah. prices, just give them less, and you would have more to, to sell. Well, it actually is a price increase because you're you're paying – you know, for, for a smaller portion product. And it's, it's weird because the perception is you're still getting a, a 16 ounce or an eight ounce can or jar of whatever your favorite, you know, thing is, but you're not, you you're getting 7.5 ounces or you're getting 14.7. Look at a Pepsi Cola can. It's smaller. Well, that's interesting. See, I don't, I've never, I, I hate soda. I, I hate it as a kid. You know, I've I don't drink them either, but I've seen, you know, yeah, I've seen well, the cans them are pretty. Years. Yeah, I remember when they were really light aluminum, they're fun to crush. I don't know, can you still do that? I guess you can. It was a college thing. We, you know, do the forehead crush and some other stupid you things. You yeah. can do steel cans. You oh, can yeah, make them. Sure. You can stump them and make shoes. Yep, I remember pop tops. <laughs> you actually pull the pop top off, and now you don't do that because now they're self-contained. Yep. They should have done that all along. Yeah, pop tops were terrible for pollution, and then they had to make those biodegradable. Uh, remember the ring holders? So they, they're strangling all the birds and turtles. They're terrible. Those plastic uh, ring holders, then they made them biodegradable, so they they dissolve in the sunlight. That was a good thing. So not all regulations. Yeah, remember the uh, yeah. 
You yeah. remember the uh, cork and the uh, pop and the soda soda bottle pops? The cork. You remember mm. that they used to have cork in them for silver. Okay, now cork's actually a good thing. I mean, they still use cork for wine bottles. Cork is natural. Ever seen a cork tree? They're kind of cool. They feel squishy, just like cork. Yeah, is what it is. Who's yeah. the major producer of cork anyway? I think it's Portugal. I believe. I'm not sure. If it, I, think it's they, well, I found them in California. Cor- California has cork trees because it was interesting. There was one at uh, uh, when I took my daughter to. We did our mission project. Uh, San Juan Batista, which I think is the biggest mission in California, went down there. This is a fabulous time. So she's like eight years old, right? So we go down to San Juan Batista, and they had the the cowboy reenactors were there. So they were riding up and down on horseback. Mm-hmm. They, had, they had a Harley Davidson bike, you know, convention there, <laughs> and then we had uh, our mission visit, and all this converged at the same time. So my kid's going nuts. She took over two hundred pictures. This is when she started getting into photography, and um, made this amazing book. You know, everybody else was making like a poster with ten pictures. No, she had about she selected like 120 or 200 and put it in this fabulous book, um, which I kept for years and years and, and gave her when she you know, was an adult. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so that, that's where we got interested in photography. But you got the bikers riding down, you got the horse guys riding down, you had the, the, they were simulating uh, robberies at the Bank of Italy, which became the Bank of America. And that, that's what it was called originally. And oh, yeah, it, it, it was a fun time. And they had a cork tree, this massive cork tree on the property, which makes sense because the, uh, um, the Franciscans made wine. You know, Junipero Serra right. and, and uh, all the, uh, the, the monks okay. that were there uh, at the missions, you know, as they were enslaving Native Americans to build their adobe structures. Yeah, it's interesting history. Not well, good. you know, the, you're right, uh-huh. California, man. Now, the largest, produce, largest producing country of cork, I believe, is Portugal. But I believe Portugal well, because they make wine. Yeah, yeah, because they make wine, too. Yeah. Well, they would have brought the cork trees right. there. I don't think they were native to California. You know, they would have brought... Yeah. Yeah. The, the court, the, when you pop the court in a bottle, they usually hit back the porch. But uh, you made mention of California's court. Uh-huh. Now you had a major manufacturer in the United States at, at the well, not only they weren't the only one of the industry, and they the beer industry. And Anheuser Busch, Anheuser Busch stipulated that anything that's used in their uh, plant. Or their business had to be made in America, whether it's construction or also. Anheuser-Busch mm-hmm. had glass tanks for the fermentation of his beer. And oh, the glass tanks were covered in cork. Huh. And, you know, later on, they would go to spun uh, stainless steel. And But uh, in the beginning, Stockhouse number eight there in St. Louis, if you go inside there, unless they've taken them out and, and, and you know, done something different, they used to be glass tanks, and they was covered with cork. That's interesting, yeah. Cork is amazing. Uh, the, the reason you, you lay wine bottles on their side is so the cork stays moist, and when it stays moist, it swells up, and that's what makes the good seal. So you always store wine on its side. All mm-hmm. these places where they have wine, you know, vertically, it's the first thing I, if I buy a bottle of wine, first thing I do is lay it down on, on its side, you know, in my cabinet. Um, because that's where the cork works best. And, and I had wine, you know, even when I was drinking a bottle, I, it'll, it'll last a week for me because I laid it on its side. And you, you, uh, you let the, the wine, you know, go over the cork, even when you don't have that much left in the bottle, if you have less than half, just to soak the cork. And it'll stay fresh because it makes a good seal. Most people don't know that. You're right. It's amazing the, amazing the things we find out. Yeah, yeah, you got to learn that stuff, yeah. Well, well we I got spoiled. Uh-huh. When we were kids, we take... 
we pop, well, actually we do it with our teeth. Take the, the solar top bottle off with our teeth. And actually, in long, you don't want to do that because at some point in time in the future, your teeth are going to suffer from it. But yep. we mm-hmm. can take the top off, and then we put the, the cap in our mouth and suck on it and scrape the cork out of the cap with our teeth and eat it, you know, chew on it. Now, I scraped the cork out because it was fun. It was like bubble wrap, but I never ate it. I never, I never had a taste for cork, but, you know, it's interesting. No, we was to, you know what's uh, a good topic? What's that? You know what's a good topic to get in? The history of food. Man, it's just amazing. <laughs> things that you wouldn't know. We can do that. You know, I, listen, if I can get a food editor, I mean, this, that's part of the fun of talking to CJ. But she does it more from a nutrition angle. But food culture, you know, this is what I did with my daughter. Because one of the beauties of living in San Francisco uh, when I was raising her was that every weekend, when I became a weekend dad, um, but we'd, we'd pick a different neighborhood. And it was like going to a different country. So, you know, and mm-hmm. when they talk about San Francisco, you know, rice being the San Francisco treat, it's, a, it's an Armenian family recipe. So we go to the Armenian neighborhood and, and, and try their restaurants or we go to the Brazilian, you know, part of, uh, of the mission and we go to their places or we go to, you know, Chinatown or Japantown or, or uh, you know, uh, the North End, North Beach, which is the Italian section. And we just pick different neighborhoods or you just go out to the Richmond or the Sunset or any different districts. San Francisco, at least it used to be. Uh, downtown's kind of trashed right now, but even then we used to have fun even downtown um, because they had these beautiful streetcars that used to that still run up and down Market yeah. uh, and Embarcadero. You know, they got the biggest streetcar collection mm-hmm. in the world, I think, right now. They even had a Melbourne tram, which I used to take when I was eight years old in Australia. You know, so uh, San Francisco could be. They just have to fix it. You know, get rid of the homeless, fix it up, get rid of the leftists, uh, and there would be a beautiful city again. But um, we had fun there because we'd go so all these different neighborhoods. Then Marin County had different neighborhoods, and there are different neighborhoods along the East Bay, you know, and we we, we went to the mall. <laughs> it was like this, this massive, you know, you know you Golden Gate Park, about which is fun. Uh-huh. It was a great place to raise a kid, by the way. It was, it was fabulous. Food. Uh-huh. You know, you talked about Ralston Perino, which was owned by the Danford family, who gave huh. us, by the way, Clarence Thomas. Oh, but uh, it, it was a it was a war between the dog foods, Perina and Kenneration. And Kenneration okay. had this commercial: "My dog's bigger than your dog. My dog's yeah. bigger than yours. I saw that on Demolition Man. <laughs> my dog's yep. bigger than yours. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. And I wish there were an Oscar Mayer wiener. We're, this is fun. We're actually having a good time on Friday. We've been so serious all week. Yeah, but we nice were break. different back then. They yeah, would they actually plump. swell up when you when you when you oh, they plump. Them. Yeah, you plump you your, your hot dogs. The juice yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. Uh-huh. Well, what is it? Some some product just came back. Well, actually, it was uh, I know the, uh, I got an article on the GTO that came back, but something else came back that uh, some food item from way back when this is they're starting to bring back. I forgot what it was, but we'll think of it. Yeah, we can talk food. I would love to get a food critic, a food editor on the show. You know, I want to be a well I've been trying to get a winery for, for five years. You know, I've got one. Oh, uh, food Emerald Coast yeah, exactly. Food historian. You know, I love food. Food is cultural. I mean, you know, there's nothing more, I think, directly tied to our life than our food. And every culture has its own food and every culture brings it in. You know, especially we don't have a huge variety here in the, 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 the Gulf Coast, you know, the northwest corner of Florida up here in the Panhandle, which is too bad. But it's not that far from New Orleans, but they do have a lot of food. I mean, they're known for the restaurants and, of course, Miami, you know, and uh, like stone crabs and things like that. But, yeah, I've, I've dined all over the world or a good part of it. Got to go to Asia. Haven't been there yet for, for the food. But, uh, yeah. Oh, man, you know, you're talking about some strange foods. 
in Asia. Well, yeah. It's very, very interesting to talk about because there's so many different varieties of food in the Asian. Mm-hmm. Hey, to go down an Asian food market and the street market, should I say, man, mm-hmm. it's like going into another world. Well, I guess you would be in another world. No, I remember, we'll see, now there's two Chinatowns, for example, and this is a story that's a little horrifying, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. I don't think I've talked about this, but there's like tourist Chinatown and there's real Chinatown. And so Tourist Chinatown is, is Grant Street, which has all the touristy shops and the, the fake ivory and the, you know, the fake samurai sword stuff, even though it's Japanese, uh, and the fufu restaurants, and they all look like your, your, your typical, stereotypical Chinese area. Then you get Real Chinatown, which is a couple blocks away, and you've got the markets and where the chickens are stacked up you know, in, in tiny little cages. And, and this is the part that's horrifying. I actually watched a man you know, cut up fish for, for a person, and the fish was still alive. You know, and they just you just cut it up. Didn't even care. It, it, it was did not occur to him at all that that was that was something that you know us normal folks well not normal folks but in other words Western culture doesn't wouldn't stand that wouldn't stand for that. Uh, and when they talk about every time I hear about the wet market in Wuhan and some of these other Chinese markets, I know exactly what they're talking about. Some of these things do what they do to to animals in in uh, Chinatown and, and probably China uh, is horrific uh, by Western standards. It's it, it's unacceptable. You know, cutting up a live animal is unacceptable. Um, to me, you know, if you take the head off first and then, then you cut it up. Okay. Now, you, you know, but they weren't doing that. Um, and so, uh, cause they want it fresh, you know, I guess refrigeration isn't a, as big a deal, but uh, that's, that's perfectly normal in Chinatown in San Francisco and you can go see it. So I'm not making this stuff up. You just walk down and take a look. Um, but that was pretty horrifying to me to watch somebody do that. And yet that's, that's commonplace there. If you get away from the tourist area. So there's my food story. Yeah. Left you speechless, huh? Well, well, I wasn't talking about the animals. I was talking about the preparation of food. So, well, that's now, now that's interesting. The prep. So I love stir rice. fry. Yeah, I love stir fry, and uh, but I don't eat I don't eat rice because it's starchy and pastry you know, and carby. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't have a, a miss. There wasn't a big European uh, influence. Yeah, that's much more the East Coast, but uh, you know we, we, there weren't a lot of good French bakeries or. Uh, you know, other places, uh, European stuff. Uh, you, you wouldn't find an English pub unless you go to Marin County, a place called the Pelican Inn. Fabulous old house. In fact, it was an old English country inn, literally in the country. Uh, and they had a great pub. Uh, but because uh, there's a large British community up in Marin. But the Bay Area is really fascinating. Uh, one of the nice things, speaking of food, uh, is wine. I get really spoiled because I had Napa Valley and Sonoma Valley, you know, within an hour's drive. And so back in the old days, before the wine train and before all the tourists arrived, we used to go up in January because nobody was there in January. The big secret of the Bay Area, going the third week of January, there's, there's a, a heat wave. What, what do they call it? January thaw or the January something, whatever it is. Third week in January is usually warm. And one year it hit over 100 degrees, which is very unusual. And that, that's like once every several hundred years. Anyway, but uh, it would warm up the third week of January. So we had these beautiful 70, 75 degree days. And we'd all go wine touring. <laughs> you know, you go up start in the morning and, you know, have lunch and, uh, you know, wine tour in the afternoon. And then you have a big dinner to get all sobered up and you'd wait for a while. And when you're ready, you drove home. But we did that for several years mm. until everybody else discovered it. But the wineries in January, because it's the most beautiful weather, the third week of January in San Francisco. Nobody's there. The tourists don't go there in January. They're all in Hawaii or somewhere else, but they're not wine touring. And so the wineries are starved for people. So they used to love it. You know, because we buy a bottle or two or, you know, I'd come home with about a case case and a half sometimes of wine. I wouldn't eat anything for, you know, months. I don't drink that much. Um, but uh, it was really fun. And the wineries were wonderful and they were friendly. And these little local boutique wineries 
that uh, only sold from their winery. That was it. They didn't have a store. They didn't have a network. They just sold only from their winery. Some of those were fabulous. Uh, just tiny little places. I remember one guy, Home, Homewood, I think it's called, in Sonoma. And one guy runs the whole winery. And he only sells from his place. So he only makes like maybe 50 cases of wine a year. But he's happy. He's retired. He just makes wine. Yeah, it's great. Well, did they but stop the grapes? Yeah. Almost. They almost stopped the grapes. Yeah, it's almost that, that rural. But yeah. But what's, what's fascinating about uh, wine that I've learned. Now, Sonoma County is closer to the coast, closer to the Pacific Ocean. So it gets the fog. But a lot of the Napa Valley doesn't get the fog. So the areas under Sonoma, under the fog, have a greater temperature difference. Well, apparently that's better for residual sugar. So the wines in Sonoma County are sweeter than the wines in Napa, which are drier. So if you want like a Cabernet, a heartier, drier Cabernet, you want one from Napa Valley. If you want like a Beaujolais that's a little fruitier and sweetie, sweeter, excuse me, you'd get that from Sonoma Valley. And yet the mm. valleys are right next to each other. They're you only divided what? by a set of hills. They're like, like the 10 miles apart. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the fog that's only goes in a couple miles. Yeah, but you learn all these things in the, in the Bay Area when you start studying wine. It's fascinating. You know what else they used to <clears throat> produce from bare feet? Cranberry sauce. Cranberries. Mm. Cranberries and other interesting too. You know, it would be Bosch. interesting if you had a show where uh-huh. you had someone, a student that was in uh, food. Like culinary school? It's a really good idea. And do yeah. a show and have the own okay. spot where they're talking about the history of a particular food. Man, that's, you know, that's fun. Well, listen, remember when Alan Dawson and, I, and you, would, you would always ask him what he had for lunch? And he'd talk about the plantains. He'd talk about the, the different foods in Belize. I remember that. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was like your main oh, topic. Oh, yeah. Like, What's for lunch? <laughs> what happened to him? Uh, he's still out there. Yeah, he just hasn't called in for Oh, maybe I should check with him again. Because uh, this might be the, this is probably the non-tourist season because it's so hot. So this, this is, let me check with Ellen, uh, but I'm going to put like a food, you know, definitely the food uh, show, food host. You ever have brains and eggs? Have which now? Brains and eggs. I don't eat brains. Brains no, and I, fried I, eggs. No, never done brains. No, I, I was warned against that. Yeah. That's not a good, that's not a smart thing to do. Uh, it's like blood. You don't drink blood of, of animals. All right. So a food host, a story. I'll write down Ellen Dawson. Brains and eggs is good. It was, it was a famous little uh, restaurant, and it wasn't a, a diner. It was a, a diner in St. Louis there on uh, mm-hmm. show. So, a matter of fact, it was down the street going east of Ralston Farina. Mm-hmm. And uh, you drive by there, ride by there, and they have a sign, Grain Sandwiches. Yeah, but we could do um, so much this way. We could do Southern cooking. We could do black food, soul food, I guess it's called. I don't even like that name. But uh, what well, is that? Actually, you know, Southern how, food. How does, yeah. how does soul food come about? Just out of curiosity, where did that word come from? I don't know where it came from, but actually it's Southern food. It wasn't just uh, black food because uh, whites ate it too. But it's just okay. uh, cuisines of the South. Yeah, we could do a show on barbecue. I mean, we could do a show on anything. We could do a show on Chinese food. You know, the difference between real Chinese food, where the bones are left in, and an American Chinese food, which is much more, you know, to, to Western taste. Yeah, there's so much we could do. with Okay, let me work on it. I want to do food, wine. And actually, I've been trying to get it. We've got three craft beers here in Milton. I've been trying to get one of those guys to come on the show, too. So it'd be like a rotating thing. We'd have uh, probably like a half an hour on a Friday. Friday's a good day for this. So we'd probably, you know, food, wine, beer, you know, and uh, and who knows? I mean, if I could get four people on a rotating food? basis, 
Which one? Italian food? Yeah. Well, see, I was up in Boston. I got plenty of Italian food. We had the North End. North End's all Italian. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you go to you go to South Boston for the Irish pubs, and you go to the North End for the Italian food. <laughs> so you got to know your way around these cities. It's really it's like if you go to ever been to St. Martin in the Caribbean. No, I haven't been in in that area yet. I like. Oh, it. you should go. You should go because now St. Martin. I went with a friend of mine after college, and what we discovered was because we hadn't been there, we just wanted to go someplace. We kind of picked an island. Well, let's fly here. It was like cheap flights they were promoting, so we, we bopped down to St. Martin for a week. But what's f- fascinating about St. Martin is it's half Dutch and half French, so it didn't take us long to discover that uh, you go to the French side for dinner because the French food is fabulous. But after dinner, you know, they're all, you know, having sex in their cabins and things like that. So the, the French, there's not a lot to do. So they kind of close up. So then you go to the Dutch side and you go drink and party because the Dutch really can't cook, but they can drink. <laughs> Sorry, Marco. Is Marco on the line? No, he's not on the line yet. Anyway, but uh, it was really great. So we, we learned very quickly, you go to the French side for, for dinner and then you go to the Dutch side to, to party. And it worked out great. <laughs> you know, so different cultures do different things. It's really fun. Yeah, you know, it's like going to England for the pubs, go to Scotland for the single malt scotch. You know, what's this is like an old joke like this too? That, that heaven is a place where the where the the chefs are French, the the police are English, the uh, uh, the mechanics are German, and I've forgotten the the third one. And and hell is a place where the the police are German, <laughs> you know, the mechanics are English and the, the or, or French, and the the chefs are English. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Um, I don't know who's going to – I was, I was hoping uh, Jerome Bell was possibly going to call us. He's going to be joining us for our reading, uh, the Declaration of Independence, on Tuesday. And so that's going to be kind of cool. Uh, Catherine, possibly, too. I'm going to talk to her about that. Um, but we should talk Supreme Court. So let's take a break and come back and, and hash over. I've actually been reading – I've been doing something that all these other news people are just giving opinions on it, but nobody's actually read the Supreme Court opinion. So I want to kind of get into that in the next little bit. So it's 825. Uh, I think we're pretty much off for the next uh, – oh, someone's trying to call. And they're calling my cell phone, but that ain't going to happen because <laughs> I'm on the air. But we'll take a break and I'll, uh, I'll maybe I'll uh, text them when we get done. So let me uh, I'll find something to play here. It is 825 uh, in the morning here, Central Time, and I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Panklos. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. Well, that sounds good. 
Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive. Conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida. Right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. here on Action Radio Central Time uh, in the Gulf Coast here in the Gulf of Mexico in the Panhandle of Florida. Um, it's interesting. I was listening to some of the, uh, the commentary. Um, there's something fascinating happening. Uh, there's a huge growth in black conservatives, uh, particularly uh, dudes. And they're all over One American News, Newsmax, and, and the conservative sites. I think uh, it's like trendy. 
it used to be the exception. But now if you're a black conservative, you, know, you get airtime like crazy. Uh, it, it's a good thing, but it's, it's also interesting is that uh, um, I'm watching this, and it's amazing how many black conservative men are coming out against uh, affirmative action and for this, this uh, Supreme Court decision. And there's one guy. Um, Vincent Ellison. Pianchi, I don't know if you know him, but uh, he's got the Young America Foundation. I just heard about him yesterday for the first time. And he was talking about something really interesting, how affirmative action has actually put down black Americans and, and how the left has used it to select the right African Americans to promote. And, and so the folks like uh, Clarence Thomas and Ben Carson, you know, that are conservative, um, black men are, are, are almost like put down and not given the same credit as, you know, or they said, well, they used affirmative action or they wouldn't be there, but we all know it was hard work that got them where they are. Um, but then the folks like uh, judge Jackson, who's a total idiot uh, who's put on the court is affirmative action. And I, and I wrote something on, on Facebook um, early this morning, you know, did judge Jackson get on the Supreme recuse herself? She recused herself from the case uh, because she went to Harvard. Now uh, my question is, uh, and she's a black woman on the court. Did she recuse herself from the affirmative action case, the Harvard case, because she went to Harvard <clears throat> or because she got affirmative action from Harvard. And that never came up. But I'd be curious that they said that she recused herself because she went to Harvard. But something's going on. Conservatism's changing, and it's really trendy to be a black conservative. I just find that fascinating. Pianchi, what do you think? Well, you know, I used to, <clears throat> we used to, in conversations we had, I told you the more conservatives out there than black conservatives out there in the world in the mm-hmm. country than you uh, would imagine. But, uh, and for obvious reason, and as it was demonstrated, when mm-hmm. they come out and speak their position, they are ridiculed. And in some cases, they stand a chance of losing the job. That's interesting. But not on conservative news sources. Like I say, the, the two I listen to uh, or watch, actually, One American News and Newsmax, uh, mostly on American news, but uh, uh, they had black conservatives, uh, not as many women, and, and they had like, like this one Asian guy was going around uh, talking about discrimination, or maybe those two, it was an Asian woman and an Asian, uh, Asian dude. Uh, but uh, but the black conservatives, particularly black conservatives men, men, were all over the news last night. I just found that interesting. And these people I'd never heard of, and all of a sudden they're coming out. So it looks like they're actually these news uh, sources are looking for black conservatives, whereas before that wasn't a big deal and it was the exception. And, and like the braver folks that came out earlier, uh, Ben Carson, Larry Elder, some of the folks that did media, uh, were uh, uh, Candace Owens in particular, uh, were like the novelty. And now all of a sudden people are realizing, as you said, geez, a whole lot more black conservatives than we thought. Hmm, maybe we should rethink this. And now they're actually being sought out by the, by the news media. So it's almost there's easier a lot, if you yeah, go ahead. There's a lot of black conservatives. And many cases of the time, they feel uncomfortable when they had to sit in an environment of a lot of black liberals. So they oh, just act the role. Okay. Okay. You know, it's interesting, too, there's a lot of gay conservatives, and that's the next thing. That's one thing I discovered in San Francisco, is that just as, you know, you know all black Americans don't have the same political view, uh, you know, in other words, leftist Democrat, what uh, the left wants you to believe, a lot of, of gay Americans don't have the universal gay radical activist view either. In fact, a lot of gay folks are completely disgusted by it. There was a workshop, um, a town hall that didn't get a lot of publicity. Uh, Brandon Stracker ran it. Uh, this is back on the 24th. And I listened to it, posted it, didn't get any reaction on my pages. But he, had, he was there, and I think they had four gay dudes and a lesbian woman. Um, talk, and they're all conservatives. They're all Trump supporters. And you would think 
that that would get the same attention that black conservatives get, but they're not trendy yet. So the gay community hasn't either rejected enough of them or, or the news media hasn't picked up on this, that there are, that there are a lot of you know, conservative gay folks, a lot of Trump supporting uh, gay people in America. And that's the next trend. That'll be coming. That'll be, yeah, give it about six months. And all of a sudden you'll see conservative gay folks all over the, all over the media and at Trump rallies and things like that. But that's, that's the next coming trend. But it's almost like these people, you know, it's, the, you, it's unacceptable at first, and then it's okay, tolerated, and, all the, and then it becomes trendy. And it's like, well, we need more black conservatives on the air. I, you just see the news director saying that, right? Well, we, need to, we can't have too many gay people on yet. We'll get the gay conservatives in about three months, but we'll do the black conservatives now. I mean, you, I wonder if they plan like that. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, you know, just asking the question. Well, either you get in or you're going to be left out. That's true. Because the old saying, one monkey don't stop a show. Can you say that about black people? <laughs> I'm just kidding you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, a, it's just a saying, one monkey don't stop the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> show goes. This go back to the days of yeah. Barnum and Daly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not what you mean. I just couldn't resist the, the temptation there. Like I say, every once in a while, I get thrown these slow-hanging curveballs, and I have to hit them out of the park. Um, did you get a chance to take a look at the case itself, what the Supreme Court actually said? I mean, I, I don't know if you'd like reading them. They're, they're pretty boring for the most part, but occasionally they have little gems in there. But um, I, I got this few things I have noticed already on this case. Did you get a chance to read it, or, have you, or do, you, do, well, you, do you read Supreme Court I, cases? I, I knew – I... I didn't read it, but I knew what it was about, okay. and you know, pretty clear cut. I I, I, I like the case. I, I welcome the decision. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's overdue. Yeah. It, so here's the question: see, the whole idea was the whole idea was taken out of perspective, mm-hmm. and uh, what it was, uh, what it should have been about, and what it was talked about being, and, and no, in some cases even practice. I'm totally against quotas. Mm-hmm. And quotas is something like they call it affirmative action in Harvard, but really it was a quota system trying to get uh, particular uh, phenotypical looking people in areas that they really just wouldn't qualify for. Well, I, I got a question. Um, People say that diversity is a good thing. It's almost a given axiom. Well, diversity is good. Well, why is it good? Why is it good to have people of different skin colors? I mean, I'm not talking about restricting or segregating or anything like that, but I'm just saying, but the, the, the left says that diversity is a good thing. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, why? Why is diversity? Why, why do different skin colors make a difference? If you don't think with your skin color, you think with your brain, and brains don't have skin colors, right? Your brain, your heart, and your soul, they don't have skin colors. So why is diversity a good thing? And what, what are we talking about? In an academic sense? Well, how would you like to have a flight crew? How would you like to have a crew of pilots where some right. can climb, some can dive, some can land, and some can't land? That's diverse. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it is diverse. They'll, they'll have separate knowledge. Yeah, that wouldn't work because <laughs> you want to be well-rounded and can do everything. Um, but I'm just, but diversity on it. Uh, if you look at just diversity, we're not talking about now. I have been in um, different countries. I've been in different academic settings in my school in Australia. We have people from all over the world in that school. We actually had diversity, uh, but we actually had no concept of race. 
we had nationality. We understood that. You know, people, we had uh, students from India, students from England, students from Canada, me, uh, a couple of Americans, students from, I think, Japan, uh, New Zealand, uh, different parts of Australia. And so we, we, really, uh, we, we really had diversity. I mean, we really did. You know, different skin colors, religions, everything. But we never had a concept of, uh, it never mattered to us. So whatever the diversity was, it was like organic. It just happened naturally. You know, and so I had friends from Indonesia, Persia, you know, wherever the students came from. And we talked about our different countries. And that was kind of fun. That was interesting. So we actually had diversity. But we never, it wasn't a requirement. There was no quota. These are the students that just came to my school in Melbourne. But it was all boys, though. Now it's now well, it's Caulfield know, Grammar was my school. Yeah. It was a great school. Loved it. You know, uh-huh. see, affirmative action can be looked at in how it should be. Mm-hmm. And in the modern-day affirmative action really was brought about by a guy by the name of Art Fletcher. He took the Philadelphia plan and made revision mm-hmm. it. Philadelphia plan, and I haven't studied it, I got an idea how it works. It was basically a quota system. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my industry was the construction industry, and I could right. see attempts to try, especially in St. Louis, to try to get blacks into the construction industry. Well, okay. was there encouraged or was it quotas? Because encouraged is great. You say, hey, we, you know, if you, if you go to predominantly black neighborhoods and you advertise, you say, look, we got construction jobs, we have apprenticeships, we have all kinds of things. Who wants to try it? That's a good thing. You are no totally right. Yeah, that's good. That is affirmative action. Affirmative action but, is when you go through a process of making the information available so that people could take advantage mm-hmm. and engage in the opportunities. Mm-hmm. Especially opportunities they might not know about. about yeah. Like you were saying, uh, in Florida, there's a bunch of construction jobs because we're trying to get rid of our illegals. And so the illegals that we're doing construction are leaving, thank God. Uh, and so we have new construction opportunities. That would be a good thing to advertise. Now, are you talking government affirmative action or private? Or, and where do we draw the line? Where does affirmative action cross over into quotas? Because that's, that's really the line we need to draw. Well, the government gets involved through many crevices and cracks. Right. And the biggest one when government money is government money is infiltrated into a project. Mm-hmm. Then they want to apply what they call their rules and their program and practice. Mm-hmm. You know, uh for instance like in construction in a bridge, you mm-hmm. have the government rules and then you have a state rule and then you have local rules okay and believe mm-hmm. it or not government rules would not prevail so i have seen that before matter of fact you can have a higher uh wanting to have a higher percentage of black in a region where blacks is not in that percentage at all the fine yeah. you yeah. have to import oh you know just like Australia. Australia came to Texas, uh, Texas City, I think it was Houston, and uh-huh. they had a hiring fair because they did not have uh, in their country uh, what you call skills trade people. Right. And they were hiring people left and right in Houston. So that was an affirmative action. 
right there. Yeah, but, but see, uh, I think the the confusion is when people like me, especially when I think of affirmative action, I do think of quotas. Uh, in other words, when I was told, I've told the story before. When I was 16, I went to try and work at my local airport, and the manager actually told me, "You're white. I can't hire you. I have to hire black kids." That's that. But that was under a government affirmative action program. So when it comes to limiting mm-hmm. people, when it comes to like contracts, when they set aside construction contracts, you probably know about this for women-owned businesses. That's a quota. Uh, so anytime, so this is the part. Of, this is the part I object to. So in other words, if, if the affirmative action is is affirmative in terms of encouragement, great. But if it's if it's affirmative action that involves any kind of quota or limitation, in other words, in order to promote Black and Hispanic, you know, students or candidates or job applicants, they're actually denying white and Asian. You know, and this is where the problem comes in. We know this from well, the SAT scores. We know the other stuff. Yeah, but that's but that's not affirmative action they, the way you're talking about it because you're talking about encouragement. Um, but it really is quota. You know, it's like Martin Luther King in reverse, which is the problem. Yes. What? Okay. For instance, in construction, they used to have programs like at the uh, federal level they call it DBE, Disadvantaged Business Enterprise, and local level they used to have WBE, uh, Women Business Enterprise. And then you had MBE, Minority Business Enterprise. And each one of those had a percentage number applied to them. For instance, in the public schools, they had 20, they said if you got a, a construction project going on in the public school, we would like to see 25% of that contract dollars going to a MBE, Minority Business Enterprise. Mm-hmm. In construction, in uh, like airports or something that had to do with uh, the federal government or the state, it would be DBE, disadvantaged business enterprise. They would set the the percentage number maybe at 15%, for instance. So now if you didn't have no, if WBE, which would be women business, if you didn't have no women business, what you going to do? Yeah. Well, a lot of times I heard from. What happens people will start cheating. Yeah, they do cheat. Yeah, because I heard whistle. I had a whistleblower on earlier who said that uh, she had a woman construction, women-owned construction company, and some of the other so-called women-owned construction companies were actually owned by dudes, and they would have a woman on the title or, or the like the figurehead, but they're still owned by guys. <laughs> so that was that was a cheat. And also, what they would do would run material prices uh-huh. through an individual of that particular persuasion, yeah. but that's not the. The best benefit is the hands-on where you learn the skills in that particular trade. But when you run the business cost, you know, the cost of material and run it through somebody's front company. All right, mm-hmm. for instance, you set up a company because you're white. And you say, well, we got to have 15% of this project is looked at favorably if we have Fifteen percent of the cost going through somebody white. Well, let's get Greg and let Greg <laughs> yeah. start a company, and yeah. we run the material price through Greg. And you just pay me a fee for not doing anything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Pay you a fee for not. That may be an offer. I knew a lot. Yeah. I knew. I knew a <laughs> lot of cases that that happened. Yes. Wow. So the the only time it's advantage in this country to be a white male <laughs> in this situation. All right, let's get to the case. So the case is interesting. The title, uh, the, the petitioners are Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated. That's obviously the front group, uh, and it's, it's, I, I'm sure it's a white and Asian mix, but we can look, look them up. But that's one part of the case, the Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated. So they're a company. 
and the, the parties, the defendants, are the president and fellows of Harvard College and the University of North Carolina. So we have two old, established, I guess one public college, the University of North Carolina. Maybe they're private. I, they're probably, I think they're private. And, of course, Harvard. Harvard's been around longer than the United States. I think Harvard has more money you know, than the federal government. Well, not as much as the federal government. Harvard's got a lot of money. They've got billions and billions of dollars in endowments. You know, I think they're one of the original land-grant colleges. So I think Harvard's been around since, what, 1636? Some ridiculous long been been around a long school. time. Long time, yeah, yeah. Six, they I think got a lot of endowments. One reason they got a lot of endowment because uh-huh. when people come out of Harvard and their degree, their degrees are usually in areas that pay a lot of money. Yeah, except theology. I don't know how many theologians are. Yeah. And they well, donate back. Listen, yeah. don't, don't theology down now. I'm not putting theology down. Theology. I'm just saying it doesn't, uh, unless you're like, you know, Reverend, donate to me. You know, <laughs> it was like, you reach down deep into your pocket and give generously yeah, to the Lord Jesus like Christ through my church. Everybody. Sorry, what's that? Reverend Ike. <laughs> Who's Reverend Ike? Like I, just, I just made up Reverend, donate to me. <laughs> I'm just making stuff up here. Um, yeah, we should. I should do an evangelist. Remember the evangelist? Remember who was it? Uh, who was the guy that was doing the, the the preached against porn, but then did it? He said, "I have sinned against you." Sounds like Bill Clinton. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. Anyway, so they tell evangelists, you know, the the bakers, and uh, I'll think of it when I'm talking about something else. But anyway, we don't see them so much anymore. It's probably a good thing. All right. So the Supreme Court case: Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard and North Carolina. And so Chief Judge Roberts, I say judge because that's what it says in the Constitution, for those of you who have actually read Article 3, we talked about that yesterday, Chief Judge, Chief Judge Roberts delivered the opinion of the court, who says, in these cases we consider whether the admission system used by Harvard and North Carolina, two of the oldest institutions of higher learning in the United States, are lawful under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Let's do something really novel and actually read the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And because this is, this is the key to the whole thing. So what it basically means is that everybody gets equal protection. I mean, it's, a, it's probably the most powerful, straightforward, logical, and misinterpreted you know, of all the clauses in the, uh, um, of the 14th Amendment, which is way too long. But it's in the first section. And it comes, no, is it, is it, where is it? Ah, here we go. So section one, this is also the immigration one too. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction of, thereof, which means people who are not foreign citizens, are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. In other words, we're dual citizens. Then it says, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. That would be letting illegal aliens to vote, but we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> Sorry, I threw that in. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property. That's a due process clause without due process of law. Nor, and here we go, deny to any person within its jurisdiction, in other words, American citizens, the equal protection of the laws. So we are guaranteed by the 14th Amendment the equal protection of the laws. In other words, nobody can be treated differently under the law for any reason. Affirmative action does that, and affirmative action is, by that statement, unconstitutional. So my, my first question, Pianchi, is if affirmative action is illegal for colleges of higher learning, why do we still have affirmative action in the rest of the government? Yes, well, see, here's another thing. This applies to federal federal government, too, and governments. Don't apply to private concerns. Like, like who? But, you know, 
yeah, don't apply to to private concerns. The private concerns can do well, what he no. wants, basically. The civil rights laws would prevent you discriminating. In other words, if you had a, a black-owned company, if they only ever hired black employees and a bunch of white, Asian, and uh, Indian folks you know, applied to work there, either Indian Indian or American Indian, you know, that would be discriminatory. You can't discriminate. But if you want to encourage you know, they have, black employees, uh, that would be know, okay. In some areas in this country, in France and South, you had race-only mm-hmm. prompts as long as it wasn't held on a government uh, so that's property. See, that's a private entity, a private club. But if it's, if it's open for business to I'm the saying. public and if it's open for government business to the public, that's different. And, but you can't discriminate if well, you're a company because yeah, well, that's a company that's a public that's entity. That's what I'm but telling a private you is that private concerns okay. did not have to adhere to that. They did no. not. I didn't have to. If I'd done a job, I could hire all Russians, no blacks. Uh, unless it, unless blacks apply, it was a public job or or a company. If you're offering employment, employment's different. I hire, yeah. if on a private job, but it wouldn't apply. I didn't have to follow no affirmative action on a hotel. Uh, say, if I build office building, I build office building. I didn't have to hire no blacks on it. No, my payroll. Interesting. What if what a black person applied? You would just say no. How would you deal? How'd you deal with that? If I didn't need no help. Okay. All right. So yeah. in other words, there 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 are ways around this. Well, take for example. I mean, I don't know how many Italians work at Japanese restaurants. For example, if I go to a Japanese restaurant, I generally expect to see Japanese people there making the sushi. I don't expect to see a pizza chef, an Italian chef there with the big white hat making sushi. Okay, so it would be reasonable for a Japanese restaurant to hire Japanese people to make sushi. That would be a reasonable thing. And would you call that discriminatory or would you call it just a private business, you know, doing what they want? They may not want to hire, you know, a a Russian borscht maker. They may hire their own relatives. And that's okay, too. Yeah, because it's a private business. Yeah. But but in other words, you know, but, but when it comes to public things like a like a university especially a university that takes government money, but even a private university, you know, it, it, you Harvard cannot. Is, Harvard is a private university. Right. So where, this, now, so where the conflict is, is between the civil rights laws and this affirmative action, because affirmative action is illegal under the civil rights laws. And I don't think anybody's made that connection. And it goes against equal protection. No, what, what, happened, what, what happened is Harvard done this on their own. Okay. They were trying because of their history they was trying in one time one way to be a better marketer and be a standing in in the in marketing of their what they had to offer. So Harvard done this basically on the own. When they when these uh examples of giving certain people points on interest exam, even before they sat down and deducting from others even right. before they sat down and took the test, they brought that up upon themselves. Yeah, that's true. Let's get to the case. They would give black can... students three hundred and ten points as I read. Yeah. Uh age not Asian, but Hispanic either two seventy or two thirty. White students got zero. In other words, they start off, you know, at the starting line. Uh-huh. And Asian students started off behind the starting line, 170 points. Because right. they said that if we didn't 
put some restrictions, the whole class would be Asians. <laughs> but that's okay. If, 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 if the Asian students are the most qualified, because they then were that's... smart. They, they, well, they also work if, harder. If they worked harder. They worked harder. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the difference. Uh, uh, in, those, in, those uh-huh. elite, in those schools, you talk about black faces, 40% of the black males at one time, as reported, were Nigerian. They weren't American blacks. Well, see, this is what I found. I got a couple of articles on, on the makeup of these black students. A lot of them are, first of all, wealthy. Uh, their parents went there. <laughs> you know, that was interesting to find out. Um, but another thing was that a lot of the, the black students at Harvard are not, you know, as, as this one article said, you know, descendant from American slaves. These are, are black students that are Jamaican, you know, you know Indian, uh, mixed race, things like that, Nigerian, like you say, and a bunch of other places, but they're not American. <laughs> they're from somewhere else. But they have any black students, so they fulfill their quota, and they still get the money from the rich people from foreign places. It's, it's fascinating. Anyway, let me get to the case itself here. So Chief Judge Roberts says, in these cases, we consider whether the admission systems in the used by Harvard and North Carolina to the oldest institutes of higher learning are lawful under the Equal, equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. I'll cut to the chase. They said they weren't. <laughs> so that, was, that was the thing. But then it says, founded in 1636. Yeah, I was right. I think I must remember reading this. Harvard College has one of the most uh, selective application processes in the country, over 60,000. Okay, fine. I'm not going to read the background. It's boring. So I'm, I, I get a little key to my uh, uh, to what I want to read here today. Our case. All right, so we're going to go to Section 2. Let me scroll down here to Section 2. A lot of background here. I wish they make their cases. Why can't they do like we do and just do one page, you know, a few sentences? It's illegal under the Equal Protection Clause because it discriminates against, you know, races that are discriminates against different races, discriminates against white and Asian folks, you know, and favors black and Hispanic folks. That's it. That's the court case. That's the whole thing right there. All right. Section two. Before turning to the merits, we must assure ourselves of our jurisdiction. So the first thing the court does uh, is is talks about whether they, the court can take the case. So they, in the case that they've taken, they say whether they can take the case. And what they say is UNC, University of North Carolina, argues that, that, that oh, UN, the University of North, this is important. University of North Carolina argues that the students for fair admissions lacks standing to bring its claims because it is not a genuine membership organization. So that's interesting. So the University of North Carolina, Jonathan, remember how Jonathan's talked about standing? You know, I've asked him about it too. It's like this made up thing. So in other words, in order for you to sue in court, the court has to determine whether you have the right to sue in court. And you determine that, and what they call it is standing. Do you have standing to sue? In other words, have you been personally injured you know, by this, whatever it is that you're suing over? Well, the, for you to sue the United States, the United States basically have to give you the permission to sue it. It may That's not. Different. Yeah, yeah, but the, what they're talking about is standing. In other words, people have sued. Um, well, if yeah, but see, I don't believe in the concept. I think I think that's a bogus concept of the Supreme Court. It's like I'm trying to bring a lawsuit against big tech. I'm still looking for an attorney. Um, I'm I'm supposed to be party no, to. Uh, I'm I, if somebody I outside of the United States wanted to sue the United States, they would have to permit you to sue them. Yeah, that's true. Yes, I mean, but they but they also have to come under Article Three. But what I'm saying is that, the, but in order to sue, you have to prove that you. So, in other words, a white student that was denied, you know, Harvard uh, admissions would have to prove that they somehow suffered. 
Would they have to prove they didn't get a job? Would they have to prove other things like that? That's what they mean by proving standing. And then it says that because That's they're saying like the that bulky, uh, remember the Balky case in California. I do very well. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, Balky sued the regents, the California regents, college regents, because they admitted a black student, if I'm not mistaken, who had a lower test score mm-hmm. than he did. Yep. And he was white. And they upheld and he that. He had his case was legitimate. Upheld, upheld that. I remember seeing signs all over campus, smash the Baki decision. In other words, that affirmative action is a good thing, which of course it isn't. Anyway, so, so this is the first, but they didn't argue on the merits. So the first thing University of North Carolina argues is that the students for fair admissions <clears throat> can't sue. Well, that, that, that to me is not a legitimate argument. And the court found the same thing. They said, well, yes, they can. So apparently every court has rejected this argument that they can't sue because they're not, quote, a, a genuine membership organization. I guess that'd be like the Knights of Columbus, you know, which takes Italian-Americans. So you have to prove that you have Italian descent before you can become a Knights of Columbus. Well, that's a private organization. They can do, it, they can do that. You know, they don't have to have, uh, I don't know, people from Thailand and the Knights of Columbus <laughs> unless they have Italian background. Anyway. All right, so they get rid of that. Then it's, now, here's how they actually use the Constitution. But listen to this. This is where it gets really interesting. It says, Article 3 of the Constitution limits the judicial power of the United States to cases. Now, we talked about that yesterday, right? We spent a lot of time on that. Mm-hmm. How, how the Consti- Article 3 very clearly says cases in law and equity. But that's not what Roberts says. Roberts says, and this, this is where he, he immediately you know, deviates from the Constitution, he says Article 3 of the Constitution limits the judicial power of the United States to cases or controversies, ensuring that federal courts act only as a necessary, as a necessity in the determination of real, earnest, uh, and vital disputes. That's not what the Constitution says. So in other words, the, the, well, I don't let me remember tell you what, about Roberts. Yeah, Roberts is dumb. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I guess that sums it up. Yeah. So, but he, he, this is where they make up stuff. And this is where people don't, if they don't understand the Constitution, or at least have read it like we have. Uh, and we still have questions on it because it's not as clear as one would think. But the idea that he says the judicial, sorry, Greg, the judicial power of the United States uh, extends to cases or controversies. The word controversies is not in Article 3 anywhere. So they made that up, and they got it from uh, Muscat, uh, Muskrat versus the United States. So in other words, and that was 1911. So they value their cases more than they value the Constitution. In fact, they intermingle them. So in this case, they've, they've included into Article 3 the assumption that Article 3 says cases and controversies. It doesn't say controversies at all. So he's already wrong. It's, for, it's like a second well, paragraph. He's already wrong. Well, see, that's the, that's the whole idea of mm-hmm. what you got two constitutions. You got the, the Constitution, the Constitution, then you got the Book of Presidents that's always referred to in order to make these rulings. That's yeah, the laws that you're living in. Yeah, see, I would characterize it that we have one Constitution and a book of case law. Now, I don't mind saying that, but the case law is subordinate to the Constitution, always, because the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Where the United States has authority. Really, you know, you can look at case law from a different ways in time period. Well, what uh-huh. was the societal norm at that time compared to now? 
Yes, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that argument. I buy what the what the Constitution says. But it, and I've had people argue this. Mark Meckler actually argued this. Um, the, the the Convention of States guy back when I was at uh, WBY, and I want to have him on. One of the reasons is to argue this point. He said that the the Constitution is the case law and the written Constitution, and I didn't really challenge him then because I wasn't quite as aware. But I'm but I'm saying no, it's not. Case law comes from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is subordinate to the Constitution. Uh, therefore, their case law is also subordinate to the Constitution. The Constitution is supreme over the court and over their case law precedents. No precedent that they I can agree. come up with, nor case law doctrine, can exceed the Constitution. Therefore, standing is not critical. And they cannot equate controversies and cases because controversies isn't mentioned in Article 3. They're simply making that up. Well, uh, I could we could talk about standing, but let's go on for a second. Yeah, okay. Time. But in other words, but what they're saying is just, now they say they say that the students for fair admissions has established standing. But what I'm saying is standing is, is not a is, is a bogus criteria. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't enter into it. Now the Supreme Court can still determine which cases they take. I don't think there's anything in the Constitution that prohibits them from doing that. Or I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure how that works exactly. Uh, there's certain cases they have to take. And that's why they have original jurisdiction. They have to take those cases. But other cases where they have appellate, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna, that's not really a big thing worth challenging. Yeah. What the hell is a fair omission? You set the rules and people uh-huh. uh, qualify themselves to apply, uh, yep. qualify themselves to meet the rules. Mm-hmm. So well, they, uh, see, fair is, wide as, fair is, is, is as wide as the Grand Canyon. And what's considered fair for one may not be considered fair for, for another. Mm-hmm. Then see where they took this thing about fairness is when mm-hmm. they want to also include in qualifying a person is that, well, this person uh, grew up in the neighborhood where there was a lot of gunfire. Mm. Well, damn it, then where's the police? Okay, well, we had police reform where mm-hmm. they said the defund the police. Well, <laughs> you just created elements of the whole entire problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, and uh, I think we should admit that uh, admissions to college are subjective. Somebody's making a judgment call, and I think that's inherent in the system. So is it going to be always fair and equitable to everybody's point of view? No. But the other option is there's a whole bunch of colleges out there. You don't have to go to one college, and colleges should be free to pick students and be subjective. As long as they're not racially discriminating or discriminating on other bases um, that comes under the civil rights laws, I don't care. They can reject a student if they don't want to. You know, they say, oh, you know, we don't think you're quite the Harvard type. We don't think you're going to add to our university. Go to Cornell. <laughs> you know, and Cornell might say, hey, I, we, we like you. Yeah, come on over here. You're more, you're more a Cornell person than you are a Harvard That's person. That's right. They're both Ivy League schools, right? You know, maybe they want Stanford people from university. different uh, – Stanford University, when my grandson was applying uh-huh. for college and looking at him, Stanford University say that the lowest score, ACT score we have is a 35, a 34. Yeah. We look for other things other than ACT score. Oh, yeah, and, and that because they may want well-rounded people. Like, like me, I didn't score that well on my SAT. It was like 500 and something uh, each, so it was like 1,000 and something total. Um, but I just come from Australia. I was not familiar with American schools. You know, I took them, what, three years after I got here? You know, and a lot of those are cultural, too. So I didn't, I didn't know certain things. Um, and I had gaps in my education because things I'd get three, three times in Canada, Australia, the United States, and the things that I didn't get at all 
because they had a, they, they were taught at different times. So it was really quite interesting anyway, but I was well-rounded enough, you know, in different areas. And of course, being an immigrant, you know, I qualified for uh, on a different basis. Kind of interesting. All right. You, had a, uh, you know, I think I gave you a story. They had a black student, a male that scored a perfect score. Yeah. He told me as perfect scores are with SAT today. And that's a 1600. It used to be 2400. So what does that mean? They dumbed it down. <laughs> and well, they, changed, from they changed Florida, the index. Yeah. They changed the index. He's mm-hmm. from Florida, a state where the NAACP is telling blacks to boycott. Well, mm-hmm. hell, this student here, he's black. And look what he's done. So whatever well, it is uh, you're telling blacks not to go to Florida for must be yeah. erroneous and <laughs> mythical. Well, it'd be really interesting to take a uh, a class of uh, black students from a um, a Democrat-controlled substandard education system and put them in um, like a, a predominantly white Republican conservative city school system. Same equivalent economic background, same stuff, and just and see. Um, you know, it's not the it's not the students; it's the teachers. You know, you look at this two, two my two favorite examples. Remember Jaime Escalante, who was the calculus teacher. Edward James almost played him in a movie, the guy that was in uh, Miami Vice. And he took a bunch of black kids and turned them into calculus state champions. This is regular, this is a regular class. These kids weren't any different than anybody else. He just taught them better. Uh, the woman that did the Freedom Writers, and I've forgotten her name, but she was a, a Los Angeles teacher also. And took a bunch of kids, Hispanic kids, black kids, and taught them how to write properly. And they even brought in one of the survivors of the Holocaust. This is back in the 80s. Uh, in, and they became you know, world-class writers. Were they any different than any other class? No, they just happen to have a really good teacher. And so it's not the kids that are the problem, it's the education system. And the racism, the real racism that goes on is that you've got Democrat-controlled, substandard school districts purposely dumbing down black kids to make them victims so they can then push affirmative action. And as one, as this guy Vince Elliott was, was talking about, that affirmative action is to push the right politically correct African-Americans into the schools. That's where you get a, a Judge Jackson, who is, who is the politically correct African-American leftist, and she'll get affirmative action, whereas someone like a Ben Carson won't, because he's conservative. It's, it's, do, you, have you, do you know anything about that you can add to that, that affirmative action has been used against black Americans, especially conservative black Americans, as a way to select certain black Americans to rise up? I never heard that before. Yeah, it has. It, it has certain. It, it has. When my grandson's in a classmate, uh-huh. and I know they did it one year. They may have done it two years. They won the state Missouri state debate, constitutional uh-huh. debate, where yeah. you had a judge, and he had a mock trial. Uh-huh. And I told him, I say, stick to the Constitution. Well, they did, and they brought home the trophy. I think two years in a row throughout the whole. Now you know what the peculiar you know what the peculiar thing about them. They no. were black, and everyone that they were debating against was white. Well, as I've said before, brain doesn't have a skin color. You know, this is the thing that's so crazy about this. So, in other words, the the real racism here is the affirmative action program itself, and the Democrats that in that. They're, it's almost like they're justifying the need for affirmative action by dumbing down black students purposely by giving black students a substandard education 
and then saying, look, they can't succeed unless we help them with affirmative action. It's like, it's like a vaccine that destroys your immunity. So you need more of it. Well, if you, if you purposely dumb down black students and don't let them live up to their potential, of course, you know, of course you can say, well, we need affirmative action because these students can't compete. They'll never get into college without affirmative action. Well, of course they will if you teach them. So in other words, what we really need for equality is educational standard equality. By actually having good school systems. And let me look at let's look at what you just said. This tournament you said purposely dumbed down. Now okay. my idea of what dumbed down is different probably from what you're saying. See, well, there's no. Uh, see, I say that dumbed down is that when you have children that's coming from any background, rich or poor, but let's say they're coming from a poor, marginal background, mm-hmm. but the parents in that home do Mm -hmm. everything possible and utilize everything which is available in order to bring that child up to a level of educational standard, Mm -hmm. whereas they are where they should be. They are, in many cases, when they go in a classroom, coming from Mm -hmm. a poor background, they are ahead of and more knowledgeable of that grade level than the rest of the kids or a majority of the kids in the classroom. Now, this is where the dumb down comes back. Okay. That child shouldn't be in that classroom because they are not in a room where they can be challenged. Your challenge comes from the peers. Mm-hmm. And the challenge, you take that challenge and take it to another level with the teacher. Well, a teacher is not going to be able to take someone who cannot grasp what it is that they're teaching. You know, you have black professors have mm-hmm. grant money, maybe come from Boeing, maybe come from Dow Chemical, but when they go into certain classrooms, they can't teach at the level that they can. Therefore, they stand a chance of losing their grant. So they stay away from those schools where oh, the students aren't able to receive and utilize what it is that they have to teach. So that's what I'm saying. Uh, and on the other instance, that child shouldn't be in the classroom. That they coming from a poor marginal uh, setting. They should right. the parents should be able to take that child and put them in the environment that's conducive to that child's long term educational goal. And the money follows the child because the child is poor. And really, it don't make no difference if they come from a poor family or not. Because uh, as John Danford said, who's rich, one of the mm-hmm. owners of Ralston Arena, they mm-hmm. asked him, was he going to take his Social Security? He said, yes, I paid into it. Uh, actually, I don't have a problem with that. And are you talking about the senator, John Danforth? That family? Yes. Probably, probably the same person. They, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he's a plan Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, so when I say dumbed down, I mean lowering the educational standards. But here's something I just thought of. Uh, that I, You're I don't absolutely think I've right, Greg. Yeah, they lower Let's the standards. Let's go off yeah. from the 2400 to the 1600. Is that not indexing? Yeah. Isn't that not kind of down, dumbing down things? Yeah, I and mean, they're dumbing it down for everybody. But uh, but here's something interesting, yeah, too. You, you, um, well, go ahead and finish your point, and then I've got something new. No, I was going to say that you 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 – You've cut the requirements, or you cut the uh, period of uh, testing down by thirty percent, thirty-three percent. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if you, yeah, exactly. So you can you just test on less. Yeah. Um, how you standards? How would it work in uh, your your certification for to become a pilot? 
Like I say, you learn how to do everything off the ground, but it comes to land and you don't know. <laughs> I need to get back into flying. I want to see what the current educational standards are. Uh, I know what mine were, you know, and I was able to fly an airplane successfully at 16 with a chart, a watch, and a, and a directional gyro. That's how I got around. There's no radar. Nobody fought. We didn't have a transponder. There ain't nobody following me. I was up there. It was just me and God, you know, flying around New England, and I was fine. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get lost. I almost did once because a lot of things look, for, look the same on a chart. But actually, yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. Here I, I was flying up to Concord, New Hampshire from uh, Bedford, Massachusetts. I'm flying up along, and I'm thinking there's a, there's a city. I think, well, this looks like my landing spot because uh, it looked the same on the chart. In fact, Concord and, and Manchester look the same except Manchester is a little bigger. Right? So I'm flying over, and I'm looking at my time. I'm losing my checkpoint. I said, you know what? That can't be my destination. I shouldn't be there. I still have another you know, 20, 25 minutes to go or whatever the time was. And, but just using, you know, simple pilot logic that it couldn't have been my destination. Then I look at my chart and go, oh, I bet you that's Manchester. So I kept flying along, you know, called the Concord, uh, the, the local little airport when I got there. It was uncontrolled. And uh, said, hey, you guys see me? Oh, yeah, we see you. Okay, fine. I got the right place. You know, I mean, just little simple stuff like that. You get very innovative. But using your logic, using your reason, you know, using your time, your, your dead reckoning, as they call it, which is short for deduced, you know, you can, you can figure amazing stuff. And so I did. Anyway, let me uh, something I thought of that we haven't uh, that just occurred to me is that these students um, they all receive a standardized education, Common Core standardized education. So how is it that black students who receive the same standardized education as white and Asian students uh, and Hispanic students, how come black and Hispanic students need affirmative action if the education system has been standardized? They're being set, tested to the same standards. They got the same core requirements. They got the same stuff. That's a lie then, that you need affirmative action for certain students or something else is involved. Why is it if the education system has been standardized that everybody isn't being taught to the same standard? Well, that's where the culture come in. Okay. <laughs> that's probably the reason. Because in, in certain school settings, certain school districts down to the classroom, You've got cultures that are going on in there that has disrespect for the authority that's running the classroom. They have disrespect for the authority that runs the home. And, of course, hmm. when they get out into the everyday world, they have disrespect for the authority that has the authority to detain them, i.e. the police. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, it's interesting, too. They were talking about um... – Japanese Americans and Japanese Americans are doing very well in this country now, better than most uh, white families. And the Japanese families went through internment in World War II. So whereas we all hear about the, the black families that went through slavery, which ended in 1864, I guess 65 with the Constitution, uh, that's a long time ago. Black families were interned in 1942, 43, till 1945. Well, that's just that's a couple of generations ago. And so how is it that the Japanese families, through hard work and culture and, and parental you know, supervision and encouragement, have produced really successful kids in a couple of generations and families need affirmative action? So really, it comes down to, like you well, said, culture and parents. They're the wrong example to use. Okay, the example the right? you want to use would be, would be Africans, Nigerians, for instance. Okay. And then people say, well, they're the best of the best. They no, first, second, mm -hmm. third generation. They right. outperform 
they have the highest education attainment at any given point in time uh-huh. than even Asians. Mm. And they have higher household income at any given point in time than other immigrant groups. You know, you have the Indians, they up and down one time, Nigerian. So how is it that they do so well mm-hmm. where they really produce the hospital? You know, the hospital situation, that's uh, Bill Cosby and his family. You know, we had him as a doctor, and I think his wife was a lawyer. Well, right. that may be commonplace in many Nigerian families. That's, and I'm not talking about the ones that just came. So they skin is just as black as Wesley Snipes or Isaac Hayes. How does that they do so well? Well, those two have actually have done pretty well. But that's another example. Uh, a Wesley Snipes and an Isaac Hayes and, and all of the uh, the black entertainers and, and sports stars. I mean – where did Michael Jordan come from? You know, where did uh, Duke Ellington come from? Duke Ellington was a product of he 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 was he lived through segregation. They were one of the best bands we've ever had. You know, so it's interesting. So uh, people rise in adversity. It's it's really fascinating. Let me go to section three here of the court case because uh, this is what uh, Judge Roberts, the idiot. <laughs> You call him that. He says, in the wake of the Civil War, Congress proposed uh, and the states ratified the 14th Amendment, providing that no state shall, quote, deny to any person the equal protection of the laws. Okay, he's actually quoted the Constitution right this time. Then it says to its proponents, the equal protection clause represented a foundational principle, the absolute equality of all citizens of the United States, politically and civilly before their own laws. Now, what is absolute equality? How is that different than equality? I never understood that. Well, Roberts, like I say, I think is, he's idiot. You don't know which way he's going to fall. Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so he, he makes these infinitives, uh, these declarative statements that uh, it just seems overkill. This is the Constitution. Da, 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 there we go. Uh, so, it's oh, it just says, like the old saying that that because uh, my ancestor was was not allowed to uh, earn where he could pass it down to me. Well, even today, people who are allowed to earn don't pass wealth down to their siblings. Yeah. You know, one reason why, (laughs) one reason why is because Democrats like to tax your inheritance. Mm -hmm. And you're the death tax. They tax the hell out of it. Well, see, that should be illegal because that money's already been taxed. So what we really need is, is either a constitutional amendment or a federal law that money once taxed cannot be taxed again. So that would include Social Security earnings. Uh, that would include money that you've earned while you're earning social, earning social Security, all inheritance, all everything like that. So I don't like the retaxing of money. Uh, capital gains tax. There's no reason for that because uh, you know if that's already on you know money that you got from income. You know, and even if you get a trust fund, yeah, that's money that somebody right. else. Yeah, shouldn't earns. be no short term. Yeah. And see, you another thing, you penalize for being smart. Mm-hmm. Well, because I found that in, order to, in order to accrue. <laughs> Yeah. In order to accrue what they call uh, short-term capital gain, mm-hmm. like when you're doing stocks, like when I day trade or whatever, uh-huh. 90-some-odd percent of that element fail. Hmm. So that means that, for instance, the 7% that succeed, they are doing something right. Well, then they want to penalize those that's doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to look at that, too. Short-term capital gain, which that rate is probably double the normal rate of income. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm hoping this one. I'm hoping to get a producer for the show that I, so I can stop doing all the administrative stuff, have them do it, and I can start, I can get back to writing legislation because that's one of those things I want to do is to eliminate taxes on money that's already been taxed. Yeah, right. don't stop right there. And don't stop there. Now you got mm-hmm. these suggestions that mm-hmm. unrealized gains should be taxed or imputed, as California does it. They say what you should have earned. Because <laughs> even worse, they just make Absolutely. it up. Absolutely. Oh yeah, all that stuff is crap. And, and yeah, those come from the dem- those come uh-huh. from the demigod, democrat mindset. Yeah. Oh yeah. So people ask. Uh, go ahead. Then I'll get. You. I want to get back to the case. But go ahead. You know, you, 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 you're right. We should stay on the case, but well, see, people <laughs> ask. Well, go ahead and stay on the case. So we can, oh, okay. we no, can no talk problem. about this. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. So here's what here's what else. Now he actually stuck somewhat to the Constitution, although you know he's still an idiot. He says the Constitution. He's quoting Representative Bingham uh, back from 1866, who said the Constitution they were determined should not permit any distinctions of law based on race or color. So 1866 would be two years after the Civil War ended. Just to put that in perspective, uh, they were in the Board of Education. Uh, Brown versus Board of Education is where it gets interesting. Detailing the history of the adoption of the Equal Protection Clause, because any law which operates um, upon one man should operate equally upon all. So Brown versus Board of Education, well, we're going to get to the liberal dissents here in, in a couple of minutes. That's where things really get screwed up. He says, as soon to be President James Garfield observed, the 14th Amendment would hold over every American citizen without regard color, the, pro, the protecting shield of law. So in other words, you can't discriminate on race, which brings about, if this is what they felt about the 14th Amendment, how is affirmative action allowed at all, given the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause? It should never have existed in government at all, given what they're saying about this case. Then we've got one more quote, and in doing so, said Senator Jacob Howard of Michigan, he's the one that helped write the 14th Amendment, the amendment would give to the humblest, the poorest, the most despised of the race, the same rights and the same protection before the law as it gives the most powerful, the most wealthy, or the most haughty. Interesting way of talking. He says, for without this principle of equal justice, there is no Republican government and none that is really worth maintaining. So back in the 1800s, they're still talking about a government being a republic. And one of the Republican principles is equality. It's not a Democrat principle. It's not a principle of democracy. It's a principle of a republic. And that you don't hear talked about. And I would have known that unless I read the case. Roberts actually, you know, defends a republic over a democracy where you can vote anything you want. Kind of interesting, huh? Well, yeah. They took that, but they added qualifiers to it. Well, this child is able to do better because he comes from a well-to-do, well-off family. Uh-huh. That's what they started adding these qualifiers. Uh, this child does better because he doesn't have to uh, listen to gunfire, and get, listen to loud music, and listen mm-hmm. to and be ex- uh, argue, uh, be exposed to uh, arguments and people being shot. So because they're coming from that background, they should be given leeway which is then discrimination over others. Well, that's yeah. bogus. Well, yeah, because you got rich kids that have to listen to their, their hippie parents, you know, smoking marijuana and having, you know, multiple partners. I mean, that would be just as disruptive. Those kids end up depressed and on anti, antidepressants and alcoholics and drug addicts and everything else. That's just as bad as, as, as growing up in a neighborhood with gunfire every night. 
you know. So you you can't yeah, equate it. Everybody you comes know, from like, different backgrounds. Yeah. Like my siblings, I told me you have to do a hundred math problems, and all of them have to be continuously correct. And if you miss number eighty-five, you got to start over. So does Maya get hmm. preferential treatment because he went through a harder rigor and a more stricter rule than the norm? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, and it's interesting. Uh, as a flight instructor, I taught men, I taught women, I taught, I taught high school kids, I taught old folks, I taught black folks, white folks. It was, flight instruction is one of the great um, equalizers because it really tests the individual. So it doesn't matter. Some of my best students were kids. The two high school students I taught, they were great, probably because they listened better. But, um, you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter who you were on the outside. It mattered who you were on the inside. Because flying will take, you know, the, some of the bravest people were women who wanted spin training. Uh, one of the most, uh, probably the, the, the most scared person I ever took up an airplane was a bodybuilder. Big guy, big black guy. You know, strong, probably competed. But he got an airplane and he felt the first couple of bumps that man turned into a little whining baby. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and he, like, he wanted to land. We were like 50 feet off the ground. Stop, turn around, go back. Wait a minute, we're, we, we're, we're still taking off. <laughs> we can't just do that. So we flew a circuit and shortly after takeoff, it's called tower. So yeah, we need to return to uh, the field. Any problems? No, we're okay. We just, uh, we, you know, we got to come back. Okay, fine. You know, down when they cleared us the land. This, well, this guy, you know, there's you know, many and, and you, things. You don't know people um, until you get an airplane. You know, it didn't matter. Best person I ever had was a trauma nurse. Combat it's trauma nurse they don't the have, person I ever had. They don't have yeah. confidence in themselves. Yeah. But, <laughs> you don't fly airplane. Mm-hmm. And not only fly airplane, but do a lot of things. You have to have confidence in yourself and particularly mm-hmm. your ability to work things out. And also, more importantly, to follow the rules. You know, navigation is following the rule. And yeah. we, we had we had our altimeter in the plane, mm-hmm. and we also took our altimeter with us in our pocket. It might have been an old mm-hmm. altimeter there were. Hmm. I don't think I ever did that. We yeah. had a bottle of water in the, in the uh, water, in the bottle tray. Yep. Why is that? Because you can tell if you're upside down. <laughs> I never that was never taught to me when I was in flight training, but I only flew visual. But uh, I'll tell you, that's one thing that we should do. Uh, I would put aerobatics back in the flight program for everybody. You know, it's one of the best things I ever did was go up in a steerman before uh, before I went to flight school the second time, and I told the pilot, I said, "Show me everything." He gets a smile on his face. He says, everything? This is up in the Sonoma Sky if Park. You follow, uh, if, you, if you're uh-huh. flying in the clouds, you can't use visual. The only oh, thing that. you can do is unbuckle your seatbelt. If you hit your head on the ceiling, you know you're upside down. <laughs> <laughs> or just take your hands and feet off the controls. The airplane, let the airplane figure it out. It'll do it better than you anyway. Because airplanes are, especially reduce the power. Inherent, planes are inherently stable. You know, the heavier nose will lower. You know, because you got less force on the uh, the elevators, and uh, the plane will right itself. It won't be perfect, but you, you know, once once you get it all figured out, you can do better. All right. So they talk about Plessy versus Ferguson. They talk about the discrimination. They talk about the regrettable history. But uh, it's interesting. Eventually, they get to. Well, we're still running out of time here. So the, read the read the um, the decision by uh, by Roberts, and of course, then the. the, the um, Clarence Thomas had a concurring opinion, which I haven't had a chance to look up yet. So now I'm going to skip to the dissenters. 
because this is where things really get screwed up. versus Ferguson, to me, was a good rule, was a good uh, practice, separate but equal. That's what you well, got to do. Don't they complain today? They complain yeah. today that schools are more segregated today than it was back in the 1800s. You know yeah, why? That's kind of, because why? People, it's because people prefer to be where they are. Yeah, it's interesting, though. So is separate but equal equal? Brown versus Board of Education said no, because it wasn't an equal opportunity, because you cannot segregate. You cannot ban students from going to schools, uh, even though you say that it's still an equal education, so it's okay. I agree with that. However, for a private right, organization, if someone's, have a, someone's have an Italian prom, I don't care. What does it matter? Go for it. Right. You're absolutely right. You can't ban kids, students from uh-huh. You can't ban people from, from going uh-huh. if they want to go. If they don't yeah. want to go left, they go right. So they shouldn't uh-huh. be ridiculed because you have a concentration of a phenotypical type person that went uh-huh. right. Yeah, yeah. So what if they complain to have, uh, about today, yeah. many, of your, uh-huh. many of your progressives, well, this school is all black. As a matter of fact, I've had black people say that too. <laughs> this school is all black. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. They got the same desk. They got the same doors. They got the same heat and air condition. They have the same chemistry facility. It's equal in infrastructure. Uh-huh. But the well, only thing about black that it's not equal in is the color of the, of the uh, uh, is not diverse like you want it to be. Right. Well, let's talk about a black college. Would a black college be required because of this ruling uh, to take white students, for example? Or can they? Be, I don't think you can bar. I think the discrimination laws, the civil rights laws, would bar white students from applying to a black college. But then the question is, why would a white student want to go to a predominantly black college if the college is trying to advance? Black students, for some reason, unless they just really wanted the, you know, uh, a black college environment. That'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting question. You know what a phenomenon is in education and outcome? It's when a school becomes a certain percentage of a particular group, in this case, black, you Mm -hmm. start seeing a decay in the data, the academic. And that threshold is usually about 30%. So... All right, so let me understand this. So, so when a school becomes 30% black, which is disproportionate in the population, which is like 13%, what does that matter? How does, how does it decay the, the educational standards? It started deteriorating the, the grades, too. And I'm not kidding. You can look at them. I mean, just for the fun, I'll go to, like, public reviews, public school review, and put in mm-hmm. different schools that you know have a high percentage. That percentage exists in the population of the school. I mean, it's easy to find. It reveals it on the uh, data that they put out. When school mm-hmm. starts getting to a certain percentage of blacks, and, and it probably would be for anybody else if, if you took the time to study. I don't know. But you can start seeing the deterioration in the scores. And that's well, how usually black around col- 30%. How do the black colleges do that are like 97% black? Well, they don't because at any point in given time in amongst all the historical black colleges, you only have maybe five that have a graduation rate in six years rather than four, above 50%. Okay, just curious. Let me get to the dissents here because this is where it gets really funny. So the dissenting – let's see what we got here. So the dissenters are Justice – excuse me, Judge Sotomayor – Kagan and Jackson. 
the three liberal women. Now, I wonder if that's a split, too. You notice that the guys, uh, who are the guys on the court? Uh, Thomas, Alito, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Roberts. So you got five dudes. You got four chicks. You got uh, Coney Barrett, who's conservative, allegedly. And then you got the three liberal chicks, uh, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Jackson. I wonder if that's by design, that they have more conservative men and more liberal women. I'm just, just curious. Anyway, Sotomayor dissents by saying the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment enshrines a guarantee of racial equality. That is not true. That her very is first wrong. Sentence, her very first sentence in her <laughs> dissent. And you don't see this in the news, right? This is why I like to go over this. I love going over this stuff. Because you look for it, it's right there. That's racist, right? The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment enshrines a guarantee of racial equality. I've read the Equal Protection Clause. It says no such thing. The Equal Protection Clause actually says, if she actually read, you know, the Equal Protection Clause. Let me pull up again here. Article, Bill of Rights. I'm going to move my bookmark. I had it here for something else. What have She's the Obama party. I mean, yeah. So here's what the Equal Protection Clause it says, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction, in other words, citizens of the United States, right, the equal protection of the laws. So that's the 14th Amendment, Section 1. It's, uh, and that's after a, uh, it's after a semicolon. Nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So that is the equal protection clause. I don't see uh, racial equality in there at jurisdiction. all. You, did I, did I miss something? Uh huh. That jurisdiction don't mean private schools. <laughs> yeah, because this is a limitation of government. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, so I'll go with that. Uh, but it's interesting when it says – now, see, people forget that part. When it says, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Well, I think within its jurisdiction, uh, the, juris- the jurisdiction of the Constitution is we, the people of the United States. That's the jurisdiction. In other words, citizens. Now, would it apply to permanent residents? Probably. So, in other words, citizens get the, the guarantee of the equal protection of laws. Permanent residents get the guarantee mm-hmm. except for voting and um, um, serving on a jury. Other people get whatever they get by being in the United States, you know, by having to live up to our laws. That's a different thing. But anyway, her very first sentence is wrong. There is no racial equality guarantee in the, in the equal protection clause. No, or in the entire not. 14th Amendment. It, 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 in jurisdiction, if I got a homeschool and I say your kids can't come in, you ain't coming in. The federal government has nothing to do with that, even though I may be on social But that's security. not a law, though. That's, so they have well, nothing to do with that. Yeah. I think it's different. See, let's talk about laws. So in other words, affirmative action is a law. Affirmative action is discriminatory. Therefore, under the Equal Protection Clause, that law is illegal. It's unconstitutional. Now, if, if you institutions don't have to follow it. Mm. Unless they volunteer to it, mm, I don't think so. We, uh, See, if you if you follow something that's illegal, then you're admitting what that is not illegal. Wait a minute. Let's, let's let's keep it to what the what the Constitution is talking about: the equal protection of laws. We're talking about things that are law. Now, there's no law that says your home school uh, has to admit people or not admit people. So the, the that that particular branch of law doesn't cover. There is that, that, that branch of law. So let's talk and about that's that where you come in with the jurisdiction. Federal uh, government so has no jurisdiction over what's taught in right. your home or who you okay. look come in to learn. 
but it does have jurisdiction over federal laws. So let's limit it to federal laws. So in other words, if we just talk about federal laws, right, the Equal Protection Clause, which is then extended to the states, you know, through a different section of the, uh, the 14th Amendment, but uh, basically the, the law cannot discriminate. So actual laws and affirmative action is a discriminatory law because it favors one race over another. So, so people are not given the equal protection. Uh, some people are, are given greater advancement over others by race. That is illegal under the Equal Protection Clause because you're not protecting people equally under law. So that's all we're saying. I agree. So you can, okay, so, so, there we, so then when she says the court long ago con- – this is her second sentence, which is just as bad as the first. The court long ago concluded that this guarantee, which doesn't exist, can be enforced – no, it can't – through race-conscious means in a society that is not and has never been colorblind. So she's taking a premise that's wrong, right? That the 14th Amendment guarantees racial equality. It doesn't. And from that wrong conclusion, and she's, lying. She's, she's creating a power that doesn't exist. But this is, this is how disingenuous she's this is. People, yeah. Go ahead. Tell me. When she say because when she say it has never been, that's a lie. See, what they're trying to make it look like, they're trying to put a blanket over everything, whereas it's not, mm-hmm. it's not a – uh, general aspects because it has been colorblind in many instances in many places. Mm-hmm. I mean, Most it it, how, how did this particular yeah. set of people progress the way they did? Yeah. Well, you think most laws, they're colorblind. If you have a law against stealing, it doesn't say that white people will be punished less than black people. That may happen in the courts, but that's a different situation. But the law itself, the law itself, most laws, except for affirmative action that specifically mention race, I don't think there are laws that, that are not colorblind. I can't think of one that specifically, unless it's like I say, an affirmative action thing or civil rights when they talk what about protecting talking protect about the categories. action. She's talking about the, how right. people are treated, what she's talking about. Oh, it's just a society. You're right. It's just a society that has not been colorblind. Well, I don't, uh, that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting to, uh, to see. I think uh, but society is made up of people, and certain people are and certain people aren't. Obviously, the left is probably the least colorblind of any group because all they talk about is race. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. Okay. Well, thank you. Then she says, in Brown v. Brown v. Board of Education, which is one that overturned Plessy versus Ferguson, Plessy versus Ferguson established a bogus doctrine that separate but equal is equal. Brown versus Board of Education came along and said no. It's not equal. Therefore, that, that we, we, the, it overruled Plessy versus Ferguson. Ferguson. I'm talking too fast again. She says, in Brown versus Board of Education, and that was in 1954, the court recognized the constitutional necessity of racially integrated schools. I don't think that's true. Now, I haven't read Brown versus Board of Education in a long time, but I would bet that Brown versus Board of Education does not say constitutional necessity because the Constitution has no such necessity. The only thing I know that's necessary under the Constitution is a well-regulated militia. Is necessary for the security well, of a free state. let me about that, what she just said. Okay. See, there's a premise. There's a premise among a lot of blacks that black kids should go to school only with black kids. Mm-hmm. So that right there, the people that she she is alluding to really don't want what she is alluding. i give you an example. In the Kansas City, Missouri school district, 
when the DSEG judge, Judge Russell Clark, imposed desegregation tactics onto the Kansas City School District. And what they came up with, because they came up with they're going to bust white kids into that district, into the school buildings, into the classrooms, because the classrooms, the school district was all black. Hmm. Guess what? They said they're going to bust white kids into the district. What happened hmm. in many other cases? They bust black kids into the white district. Well, hmm. the reason why coming was just the opposite in Kansas City is because black said, you ain't busting our kids nowhere, basically, <laughs> is what they said. So how did the white kids do bust to the black district? When the bl- white kids came into the district, into the classroom, they had classrooms that was all white. <laughs> so so they integrated, segregated. So they segregated their integration. Okay. Now, see, now, I came to the United States. You had States. classrooms that was all right. white. All, so, miraculously, it's like Moses parted the waters. All uh-huh. the white kids that was bunched in was and located in a room amongst each other. That's funny. Well, I remember when I got to the United States, and this is why I thought this was a really screwed up country when I got here, because in Australia, we had no concept of race. We just didn't. We all mixed together. We all talked together. We just, it didn't matter. I mean, it was kind of, it was interesting, you know, talking to folks from Indonesia and India and Europe and different places and, and Asia, you know, that was fun. You know, so we were like naturally diverse. We, we were diverse. We didn't even know it. Because we had no concept of race, right? It didn't matter. Yes, we saw black students, white students, and Asian students, and we recognized they looked different, but it didn't mean anything. So then I get to the United States, right? I get here in 1972, off the boat immigrant. My first knowledge of government is Watergate. I thought, hmm, this is a crazy place. My first knowledge of, of, uh, of history and culture is that we're at war, a place I've never heard of, Vietnam. And I, I see no effects of war anywhere. I said, this country's at war? Oh, it looks pretty good. Okay, that's unusual. Then I realized the size of the federal government was the next thing I learned because they're everywhere. Uh, and then I so then I went to uh, Lexington, Massachusetts. Now in Lexington, Massachusetts, they had busing. Judge John Garrity uh, had ordered busing. So so the they called it the Metro program, the Metropolitan whatever it was called. So you took black kids from inner city Boston, from Roxbury, uh, and black neighborhoods, and they went to you know white suburban Lexington. So I'm in a school system where I'm the only minor. I'm a minority of one because I'm an off the boat immigrant from Australia. And there were no other immigrants in the school system at that time. Right, 1972, and 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 I had an Australian accent, so so nobody's talking to me. You know, but what's funny was I'm looking at all the white kids and the black kids, and to me they're just Americans. I didn't see the color. I mean, I saw I recognized color difference, but I didn't see that that meant anything because I had no concept of race. I had to learn a concept of race. You know, the black kids ate with the black kids at lunch, and the white kids ate with the white kids at lunch, and I would sit where I felt like, and uh, you know, and it's like, and all of a sudden there were rules. Well, you can't sit with the black kids because you're white. Why? Well, I, I don't get it. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden these rules well, came to me. I had to learn really fast. But it was interesting because to me, I just saw Americans. But the perception of Americans, Americans value race more than they value nationality. That's what I didn't understand. Well, you know, there were some parts of this country never seen a black person. And it, it's been in my lifetime. Oh, that's interesting. But, uh, you know, but uh, that just goes to you know, the original the Brown versus the board, uh, Topeka, Kansas, that, the whole thing that brought about that argument was that black teachers weren't being paid what white teachers were. were. Yes, that's wrong. Yeah. No, but it got carried to a whole different level by, and I'm not sure, but I know what happened in St. Louis in a particular place. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
by the NAACP. In St. Louis, you had a case where this lady by the name, I think her name was Wendell, Lenny, uh, Minnie, Minnie Wendell. Mm-hmm. And she filed a lawsuit because the material that was in black schools, she said, was not equivalent to the material, for instance, in books, was not the same as it was in white schools. Now, mm-hmm. we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. And then that resulted into a whole different lawsuit with the NAAC that caused black kids to be bused into the white districts where the material that she was complaining about didn't exist in the black district. Well, why didn't you just change the material in the black district? Why are you exactly. going to get kids up at 6 o'clock in the morning and put them <laughs> on buses and bus them for an hour to get to that material so they can be exposed to it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest problem is, is, for, is, oh, it's crazy. But I don't think kids have a, have a concept of race until they're taught that either. So you take like first grade, second grade kids, you know, and the problems they might have being bused to another school district is they're not with their friends, you know, and then well, you know that's else? the crazy part. You know what else? Yeah. Uh-huh. What's that? White districts, no white districts didn't want blacks out there for whatever reason, but some did. You know why? Because it benefited their sports program. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, except the then program. the black district, <laughs> maybe golf. The too. coaches and them start <laughs> complaining. Hell, where yeah. is all my team? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It's funny you should say that. Because <laughs> I remember in um, well, see, you know, my high school had a large Jewish population being in Lexington. So, because one third of the band was out during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, and so, uh, but it, it's true. You know, a lot of the, the black high schools, the student had disproportionate amount of black kids on the football team and the basketball team. Um, but on the golf team, it was mostly the white guys. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know if they had a swim team or not. I, forgot. I don't think so. But that would have been mostly the white people, too. It's fascinating because it, it depends by sport, too. It's interesting how it divides up. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with this, but I want to get back to the case here for a bit. I'll think of where I was going with that later. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so, so sports are, are – oh, I was going to tell you, University of Massachusetts, where I went um, – one of the stars was Dr. J, Julius Irving. And the coach, the Massachusetts basketball coach, literally drove New York Harlem streets looking for street kids that could play basketball. And said, hey, you want a scholarship to UMass? Yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> That's how we got Dr. J. You want me to tell you a story? Sure, go ahead. We're all over the place. Missouri University was playing the University of Alabama. Alabama had Bear Bryant. Remember him? Yeah. No, you can't. Yeah. Well, you oh, I do. No, I, I don't, I've never heard, yeah. I haven't heard many interviews. I've heard her interview. In the University of Missouri, it had the right. University of Missouri, Columbia. They had uh, Divine that was the coach. And I knew one player that played on uh, Missouri, uh, Missouri's team. I can't think of his name right now. Come to me. Mm-hmm. So Missouri beat the hell out of uh, Alabama. Hmm. and sent some of the players to the doctor. So at the end of oh. the uh at the end of the uh of the game, Bear Byrne came over to Dan Devine and said, Where'd you get the Negroes from? <laughs> and Devine looked at him and said, We got him from Alabama. If you don't want him, we'll take him. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's hysterical. Yeah, you idiots. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you it was interesting. I remember when the um the Maori uh, National College Maori team from New Zealand 
played uh, my school, Caulfield Grammar, and Melbourne Grammar, and some of the other schools in Melbourne. And the Maoris were lethal <laughs> in rugby. They were tough. And these are real Maoris, right, from New Zealand. It was a Maori team. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, and it's the same thing. It's like, what are you idiots playing them for? This is like the toughest one, probably the, one of the best rugby teams in the world. You know, but yeah, it's interesting um, that uh, how that works out. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, and that player's you, name was uh, Lennon Jackson. Lauren, Lauren Jackson was his name. He, hmm. he wrote a book. But anyway, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. For Black Alabama. That's funny. Let me get back to this, the, the lies of uh, Sotomayor, who she says, um, and this is Brown versus Board of Education. The court recognized the constitutional necessity of racially integrated schools in light of the harm inflicted by segregation and the importance of educating education to our democratic society. OK, so the, the harm inflicted by segregation is that certain students can't go to the schools that they want to. That's the harm. Um, Anyway, it says, for 45 years, the court extended Brown's transformative legacy to the context of higher education. Here's where she starts lying again. She says, for 45 years, the court extended Brown's transformative legacy to the context of higher education, allowing colleges and universities to consider race in a limited way and for the limited purpose of promoting the important benefits of racial diversity. That's not what Brown versus Board of Education said at all. It's a separate but equal isn't equal. Segregation is wrong. That's right. You cannot, you, you cannot stop black students from going to Old Miss. That's what Brown versus Board of Education said. It overruled Plessy versus Ferguson, saying that the doctrine of separate but equal uh, is not equal. <laughs> it's not. And you can't stop it, students it from going to schools they want. But, that's yeah. not, but it can be. It, it depends on what you're looking at. If you're yeah. looking at skin color, no, it's not. But if you're looking at facilities, it can be, and in many cases, it is. Matter of fact, in some cases, mm-hmm. in the in black districts, they have facilities that is either comparable or better than a white district. I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. I believe it. That's yeah. in the same so, area. I I built eight or eleven public schools. I don't know. I can't recall how many, but I know the last one was Michigan mm-hmm. High School. Michigan High School well, had all the amenities of any other school district that was white. Yeah. Well, do we have any examples? Uh, uh, I'm going to myself. I got to think of this more. But is there a good example of a school that's maybe say half black, half white? So you've got the same facilities, you've got the same teachers. You probably have mixed classes. Has anybody looked at a school like that? And I bet you the students have pretty much yes. equal outcomes. There'd be there'd yes, be bright, half, white students. Black and half white. Bright. Yeah, you'd have a, you'd have, but I think it's you'd population. have the same. Well, I'm like a middle class neighborhood, a school that has maybe half black, half white students. I'm trying to think of an example of this. I can't. Nothing comes to mind, right? But I'm guessing if you there's have the a, same teachers. There's a school district in the St. Louis area called Hazelwood. Okay. And, and you got Hazelwood East, Hazelwood Central, and Hazelwood West. The further uh-huh. west you go, it becomes more white. The further okay. east you go, it becomes more black. And you can so look at central. the scoring and the grade, yeah. you can see the difference. Okay. So the whites so the predominantly white school has higher grades proportionally? Or better grades, better SATs? Because grades are subjective. Let's say that in the east you have nearly ninety some ninety five percent black. West it it, it it evens out. Then I'm sorry, central it it kind of even out a medium, then West is more majority white. Well, your higher 
uh, achievement amongst black students is higher than the black students in East, where the population is nearly all black. Is that because of expectations or, or other factors? I mean, why would this would be a great case study? In other words, do black students well, in a in a, like you a, only got six a, a, minutes? Yeah, I know. Well, we we can pick this up next week. But it's interesting to talk about. Obviously, we're not going to go over the whole case, so people have to read the the actual decision. It's not hard you to find. You know, I post it, but just go to uh, you know Supreme Court. Supreme Court actually publishes the opinions. Supremecourt.com or org or whatever it is or .gov. You can the only find these good cases. good on the Supreme Court is the work their salt and their bread is Clarence Thomas. Well, I would when say Sam Alito too. Yeah, I would say Sam Alito yeah, too. Alito too. Well, he, he he's the one that wrote the, the abortion correction. Yeah, Alito wrote the abortion yeah. correction. Yeah. So I, I, I think both of them. I would kick the rest of them off the court for bad behavior. But the way she talks about Brown's transformative le- legacy, in other words, the Brown versus Board of Education was meant to transform things. That's what she's saying. And it says allowing colleges she to consider race in a limited way. So Brown versus Board of Education did not say that you could have affirmative action. I'll guarantee you it didn't say that. And I'm going to look at Brown versus Board of Education. That, was, for a case, uh-huh. that was a case called Jenkins versus Missouri, which had to do with busing. And Clarence Thomas wrote the opinion on that. And in his opinion, he quoted Malcolm X. He said that basically he agreed with Malcolm X's self-help hmm. philosophy. He also said that black kids don't have to sit next to white kids to learn and he also said he, he put an indictment on government, and, and, and in putting the indictment on government, he said that the NAACP needs to learn this. <laughs> Basically, government has no business imposing segregated conditions, or should I say not segregated, well, really, too, because in the court case with the redistricting, mm-hmm. but right. they said that the government has no business imposing uh, demands that a school district, or you got to take black kids from here and, and ship them out to white districts where they sit next to a white child, and then miraculously something is going to rub off or jump over from the white child to the black child where their achievement academically improves. He said that's a bunch of bogus mess. I agree with it. Yeah, but I remember the black students I went to school with and the white students, the, the standards were all the same. The education was the same. You know, there was not preferential treatment for black students. Even though black students but all associate with the other white students. But you know what the thing is, uh-huh. you know what makes you open your eyes is then you start looking at the attacks and where they're coming from mm-hmm. against Clarence Thomas for making those remarks. Their right. remarks is good. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like but Clarence Thomas. But then he gets ridiculed and persecuted, and he still is today. Then you have to look at who are these people and what benefits are they getting out of the present mm-hmm. way that schools are achieving, and mm-hmm. then you begin to open your eyes. Well, let me ask you a question, too. What, what are the, it says here, uh, allowing colleges and universities to consider race in a limited way for limited purpose, which wasn't limited at all, of promoting the important benefits of racial diversity. What are the important benefits of racial diversity? If they wanted to have to achieve benefits from racial diversity, and just mm-hmm. have a big damn party and invite everybody, 
Exactly. But what I'm saying is diversity, racial diversity in itself is not diversity. Because if you have a bunch of leftists of different colors, you don't have diversity. You just have different skin colors. If you have people of different countries that are all white, you actually have diversity. Because you've got different languages, different cultures, different food. It depends, on what, it depends on what the total outcome is. is, is yeah. So diversity. So is that going to mean that uh, everybody is going to have equity? With everybody making sixty thousand dollars a year, or seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars a year, is that what that means? They don't know yeah. what it means. That, so what you, it's crazy. It's yeah. all over the board. In one place, yeah. you want to look at a crowd of people and see black, white, yellow, green, and so on. Mm-hmm. And then in another case, you want to see all black, like in the redistricting. Yeah. You follow me? It's all over yeah, no, the place. It, it, it's and what crazy. they're doing, well, they're bamboozling people. It's selective diversity. They're bamboozling people. Yeah, it's actually well. That's a really good comparison. So, so in other words, you know, the Supreme Court on one hand said that um, you know you can't have affirmative action in college. On the other hand, they said Alabama has to create two black districts. So those those decisions are in conflict right there. But here's what's interesting. Here's we'll, yeah, we'll do a couple right. more points. Yeah, a couple more. Thank you. A couple more points I want to make, and then then we should we can pick it up uh, the other day, on the next day. But the idea of, of racial diversity is not really diversity. That's actually segregated diversity because you're segregating your diversity to one quality. So the whole point of diversity is to be truly diverse. And if you're truly diverse, you're going to have racial, ethnic, national, language, cultural, education level. You're going to have some dumb kids and some smart kids and a bunch of kids in the middle. And that's diversity. You'll have different uh, political persuasions. You'll have different religions. If you really want diversity, you can't limit yourself to racial diversity. That's not enough diversity. That's actually segregated diversity. Never said that term Well, before. the whole thing is labeling yourself as black is really ridiculous, too, because yeah. is, Alicia, is Derek Jeter black? I, I don't know so who he is. If Derek yeah. Jeter is black, then what is Isaac Hayes and, and Wesley Snipes? I got to look up Derek Jeter. I got to look up Derek Jeter. Is he like a really white black guy or something or what? Real quick, D-E-R-E-K, Jeter, J-E-T-T-E-R, and look at the image. Okay. Okay. So he's mixed. That's cool. But here, let me last little bit. Powell was he black? He has a white parent. Well, well, one black parent. Elon Musk black. Wait a minute, Elon Musk black. He's from Africa. No, he's African, but he is African American. (laughs) We could do this all day. Listen to, listen to this last <laughs> sentence of this paragraph. We're having too much fun here. I hope, I hope everybody's enjoying it as much as Pianchi and I are. I, uh, Sotomayor says, although progress has been slow and imperfect, race-conscious college admissions, in other words, affirmative action, she's using code words again, race-conscious race college admissions policies have advanced the Constitution's guarantee of equality and have promoted Brown's vision of a nation with more inclusive schools. Neither of those things is true. Constitution and, does and not, that's one reason why come America yeah. has is overall <clears throat> is dumb is because one you got segments in America that you can say is divided by race I mean, it's natural in the mm-hmm. south and one of the reasons why come is because they're not carrying their expectations when you look at their percentages in the population, you only got mm-hmm. 4% of the total number of engineers 
in the country, they are black, what they call black. Whereas they make up, what, 11, 13% of the population? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, action? Wait a minute. When are you going yeah. to apply affirmative action to the NBA or the NFL? <laughs> that that actually was talked about in the news last night. I got one for you. How how many um, how many Muslims do you want working in a Jewish deli? That's right. Or owning a Jewish deli. How many? You know. In fact, I used to joke about this too. With my, I used to go to Your Muslim Bakery, which was in, in Oakland where I lived when I when I first got to California. And should I should I go to the owner of the Muslim Bakery and say you need to make me hot cross buns Easter? In the interest of diversity. You know, if you and I argued before the court, uh-huh. one person would make his day as Clarence Thomas. Oh, we'd have Everybody a great day. I love, I love, do, you think we could get him, do you think we could get him on the show? What do you think? Mm, we, I don't we, think so. Oh, that'd be great. Well, there used to be a time, do you remember back in the 80s when Scalia and some of the real journalists uh, that were on, uh, Mike Wallace, Judy Woodruff, I mean, decent journalists, but Judy sort of lost it now. But um, they used to have a, a program, I think it was called uh, um, uh, The Advocates. And they had another show where mm-hmm. they took the top people in the country from government, from media, from education. that had like Dr. Walter Williams would be on the panel. Uh, Antonin Scalia would be on the panel. Uh, Barbara Walters would be on the panel. And they talk about the biggest issues. They don't do that anymore. C-SPAN used to do that. No, they don't. Because uh, things have been influenced the media is systematic systemic racist because they have a purpose and they've been ran by people who belong to an agendaized ideology and that's why they act the way they do they direct it they things that shouldn't be edited out is edited out yeah and therefore the people who don't have the ability for whatever reason to think logically and critically they only pay attention to what they hear on the news, and it's and it's and it's beat into them. It's just yeah. like subliminal messages. It's beat into them, and that's the way they respond. Donald Trump is no good. Donald oh, yeah. Trump, Russian collusion. Donald Trump goes well, to the Russian hotel in the bed. Yeah. People know the narrative of Trump. They don't know the real Trump. Let me just, we're a little bit over time, but I want to just read this last paragraph and leave people with this, and then you can, you all can read the, the full opinion. But Sotomayor says, today, this is just the last paragraph of her first section, today this court stands in the way and rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress. It holds that race can no longer be used in a limited way in college admissions to achieve such critical benefits. In so holding, the court cements the superficial rule of colorblindness as a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. The court subverts the constitutional guarantee of equal protection by further entrenching racial inequality in education, the very foundation of our democratic government and pluralistic society. Because the court's opinion is not grounded in law or facts and contravenes the vision of equality embodied in the 14th Amendment, I dissent. Well, I dissent from what she said. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, she's wrong. I mean, if you look at your college football team, how many of those kids are really carrying the scores that they, the GPA that they should be carrying? They had lowered, they lowered the GPAs. 
yeah. in order for them to maintain on the thing. Well, I mean, she's just lying. You know, when you look at what she says, uh, what do you mean, decades of precedent and momentous progress? The court tosses precedent whenever they feel like Roe v. Wade. There's no precedent for Roe v. Wade. They just made that one up. So they, don't, they only use precedent when they want to. Then she says it holds that race can no longer be used in a limited way in college admissions. Well, that's good. That is actually is the equal protection by not favoring one race over another. So that's a good thing. Then she says, in so holding, the court cements a superficial rule of colorblindness. No, it doesn't. I'm not even sure what colorblindness is. What it says is that everybody has to be treated equally. So she's lying again. As a constitutional principle, no, you, you don't establish constitutional principles making stuff up. Then she says, in an endemically segregated society. Not all societies segregated. Do you know how many people go work and go to church and, and go shopping and participate and have family gatherings and friends with different races in this country? Constantly. We are not a, an endemically segregated society. She might think we are or want one, but that's not, that's not this country today. Then she says where race has always mattered and continues to matter. Mostly to her. I don't think most people think about race. I really don't think they do. I don't. Race does throwing... not it, it, that's that's a bunch of bull crap. You know, then you know what she's really doing? She is giving all the legitimacy that her ideology is no longer needed. She's trying to hold on. Whereas what? the reality is her ideology is no longer valid. But she's trying to hold on. Yeah, that's a good point. Then she says the court's first constitutional guarantee of equal protection. Uh, actually, what the court says, the equal protection of the laws. It doesn't, it doesn't guarantee equal protection. Then she says, by further entrenching racial inequality. That's not true. In fact, what's happening is just the opposite. It really makes racial equality because all the races are considered equally. So it actually, what she's doing, she's arguing against something, but she's actually supporting the argument of the majority uh, because what she's saying is actually opposite of what's true. It's really weird. Then she says, racial inequality in education, equal. the very foundation of our dem- – go ahead. I'm sorry. What are you going to say? Equal application of the law is when if a car that's blue or a car that's red is going 45 and a 30, you stop mm-hmm. both of them if you can. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. can stop one and, and find the white, the, the blue car, more than you find the red car. Well, what oh, the red cars get stopped. That's what you should the say. Price. That determines the cost of your fine. Yeah, but red cars actually would get pulled over more because the perception is they're going faster. It's really fascinating. Don't buy a red car. If you're going to speed, so buy a blue car. you see how this stuff is really dumb? It and is dumb. when you start using critical thinking, something mm-hmm. that they don't teach in schools, you know, what, you know what critical thinking is? Critical thinking is when you recognize there's a difference between a male and a female. Yeah. Yeah. And you're critical of the people that can't see that because they're idiots <laughs> or they have an agenda. Right. But this is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, yeah, but just this last part again. She says the court subverts the constitutional guarantee of equal protection, uh, which should be the equal protection of the laws, um, by further entrenching racial inequality when actually just the opposite happens. They're actually entrenching racial equality in education. So in other words, if she thinks uh, entrenching, she thinks affirmative action is the very foundation of Democrat government and a pluralist society, she's simply lying. But that's her agenda is that affirmative action is equality. That's what she's saying, maybe. Then she says, the court's opinion is not grounded in law or fact. That's not true. The court ground their opinion in the 14th Amendment using the exact language of the equal protection of the laws. So in actual fact, she's lying. So her argument is opposite of, of, uh, 
She's trying to say something that isn't true to justify her opinion, as you were saying before. Or it's just and the plain people BS. she's talking about is ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell you but a quick story, and I'm going to leave you. Okay, that's fine. I'll be good done here anyway. show you how I raised my kids. My last uh-huh. one, of course, you know, you pulled to him, my grandson. Oh, yeah, he's my great. My grandson yeah. went out and bought some boots. Uh-huh. He bought some boots for his work, you know. Mm-hmm. And he came home yesterday, or maybe the day before. He said, Papa, I got some boots. He brought them to me and showed them to me. But he made sure I looked at a particular spot on the boots. You know what it said? It was a huh. tag that said, Made in America. Why oh, is that okay. important? Because I taught my kids, you buy things that's made in America as much mm-hmm. as possible in yep. China. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I look for made in America labels too. But I can't buy that much these days. I'm still trying to get some more. So that's here. based yeah. on yeah. how you educate, quote unquote, indoctrinate. You're true. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Yeah. Hey, listen, on that note, let's pick it up next week, and maybe I'll take a look at Brown versus Board of Education, and we'll see what happens this weekend. You never know you know where. I, I don't know what show I'm going to do, too. And get Brianna. Let me bring uh-huh. those points out with her, because that will save her the trouble of searching out, researching, and more importantly, she won't have to experience to come to the conclusion where she should be. Yeah. Well, you'll be able to talk to her um, Tuesday because uh, all of us are going to be doing what we, what we do on Tuesday. Well, you've done it before, uh, but the, those that don't know, our July 4th reading of the Declaration of Independence, we will be live Tuesday morning, and we're going to read it. But afterwards, all the folks that read, we kind of have this open, freewheeling discussion um, that I try and stay out of, actually, uh, just let the folks talk. Yeah, I want to say, let other, people, let other people do it. I might come in on the discussion, but... Take my space and give it to somebody else so they can okay. have it. You'll you, you be taken off. Well, if you take, if you leave, it's going to be all women. Isn't that fascinating? That all the people that want to read the Declaration <laughs> of Independence are women. Fine, <laughs> me. I don't care. I, I just well, listen. That's different sized women. That's diverse. <laughs> yeah, well, we need we you know, but you can have older females and younger females. We got Brianna who's like sixteen. You know, we've got uh, I don't know who the oldest you know person is. But it's all women so far. Probably Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? that the people that value freedom enough to come to the show and read, and I'm not saying if you're busy, I'm not I'm trying to you know, cast any aspersions here, but the people that have the most interest in reading the Declaration of Independence are all women. That's fascinating. In fact, most of our reporters, I think, are women. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, listen, I just, I, we, we, I, I don't have any discrimination here. Anybody, uh, you know, I don't care. If it's all women, it's all women. That's just the, that's just the way we're going to read it. But we'll see. see. See if anybody gets in touch with me before all we right, you, you have a pleasant and, more importantly, safe weekend, and I'll see you Monday. You have a safe weekend, too. Have fun. Do something crazy. And uh, who knows where we'll go Monday. <laughs> but I think we covered this pretty well. I think, Pianke, I really appreciate your help going over um, all the Supreme Court stuff we did, especially the last couple of days. It's been really great. So thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So I'm done. <laughs> this, is, this has been fun. Um, so the website for the show, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our, our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. We've got my uh, substack, gregfenglis.substack.com. And our, our contribution site is givesendgo.com slash action radio. And my um, public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. And to all our folks on, uh, we've got... Uh, Duck from Northwest Media. Hope you enjoyed the conversation today. 
Are they still here? No. Yep, they're joining the conversation. Okay. So we're done. Got a couple things to play for you guys, and then we'll be back Monday morning, 7 a.m. Central Time. We will be live Tuesday. Tuesday is our reading of the Declaration of Independence with all the women. <laughs> it's going to be – but uh, that's just the way it works out. I mean, I just – you know, I don't, uh, I don't discriminate. That's how we do things around here. All right. Play a couple more things, and then I am out of here. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.